pick up your tutor and I'll hold my cake aloft. Happy birthday, boomers! Yay! Yay! Welcome to the third birthday extrava bonanza episode of Sonic the Comic, the podcast where we look at Sonic the Comic, Sega's... Ooh comic that they did and it's got Sonic in it and it was in the 90s that's how you know this was a podcast from a long time ago about a this is a podcast about a long time ago because we're old now and we like to look into the past with the Sega Super I can't be bothered hi everyone it's Sonic Comic <laughs> Podcast how you doing we are the humans Thank who you. think we're in charge <laughs> he's Dave Boomer that's right he's Chris McFeely and we've got a couple of <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday! <laughs> and we got a couple of guests with us to celebrate this third yeah. birthday issue. Yeah. Oh, oh, poppers! <laughs> <laughs> oh, very exciting. Hello, everyone. It's really nice to be here. Thank you very much. Um, I'm Kat. Hello, and I'm Guy. Yes, we've had them both on before, but they've done so many things together that I just think it's silly to have them on separately. So we've done a whole marriage together. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's an ongoing concern. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of government involved. Mm. Long-time listeners will probably, hopefully, remember the guy was on us. Guy was on with us <laughs> a particularly all the way exciting back episode at issue number eleven. That's right. No, talking which... about Sonic running halfway around the world That's and right. how Little Donkey got written. And which one were you on, <laughs> Catherine? I can't remember which episode. Oh, uh, it, it was way back when there was the adaptation of I can't remember the name of the game, oh. but it was a very sort of noir. And I think it was oh, what, um, um, when um, we first saw Sonic and his friends in their guise as the circus performers. Oh. At the I end checked of ahead of time. Oh. Yeah. It was issue thirty-eight. Ah, <laughs> the, uh, the end of the Sonic Three adaptation, and when we talked about Frosties and Gladiators. God, it's been ages since <laughs> yes. the pair of you were on. I am so happy to be back. Um, I genuinely, and I'm not just saying this because you're both staring at me, I <laughs> genuinely love this podcast, and it's such a thrill to be on it again. Yeah, it's, it's a highlight of every two weeks. It really um, is. In normal times, I do a lot of running, and this podcast usually lasts about two lots of five kilometres, yeah. for anyone listening out there. It's pretty good. <laughs> is, is this a, are we already starting with the this is how you boil an egg. This is how you boil an yep. egg. Get fit with Chris and Dave. Also, Abby's here because it's the birthday. Hello. Temporarily. Yes. I wanted to pop in. She's got work to last, do in a minute. I've, I've just got too much freelance work to do. Yeah. But um, it's a birthday and I've got a surprise. Oh. Ooh, a, su- a surprise. A su- off to get the- <gasps> We've got our party hats on, me and Abby. We've got yeah, blue well- and pink hats on uh, to show what gender we are. <laughs> <laughs> To show whether we're Sonic or Amy, I guess. Oh my god! Oh what? It's a Sonic cake. It's a whole cake. We're gonna flip in Sonic cake. It's a whole ass cake. Oh my god! You should send that into the control room. The episode that I guested on had people making Sonic cakes. The strip around it. Yeah, it's got got a ribbon of characters. characters. Like there's Amy, there's Robotnik, there's Shadow. So (laughs) What is Silver better than Shadow? Silver's a good boy. Okay. I like them. He's a good boy. Uh, so such it's a like good a nice boy. vanilla sponge cake with oh. some strawberry jam in the middle. That so. is too oh. much for us. Let's have it. It must be stressed, slice. dear listeners. We're not together. We're not doing this live all in one room together. We're all just on Skype as usual. Abby's bought a cake for her and Dave. It's what's happened here. I'll be taking the rest of this cake to work. Uh, okay. <laughs> I do have a slice of cake here, though, so I'm yes. going to pretend that this is... I got a little cake as well. Oh, that's little, ever so cakey looking. A little yeah. bit of cake to have. And I also got a little bit of the old uh, 
outsider, so, you know, it's going to be one of <laughs> those nice. kinds of episodes. Oh, right, go on then, Abby, I rescind my previous thing. I will have a bit of something. Uh, ooh, a little bit of something. We've got some um, non-alcoholic fizz for a little bit later. Because we're professionals, Dave and Chris. No, yeah. alcoholic, please. Easy mode is what we call that <laughs> in the podcast. <laughs> the world. I mean, it's not so much that as I need to take painkillers, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's our third birthday. This yeah. is the one where we start forming memories. So um... <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a change for me. <laughs> this is issue number 79. Cover dated the 7th of June, but released on the 25th of May. The cover to this one is Sonic blasting out. He's doing a big run towards us in a way. There's no ground, so it's like he's running through the sky. Coming out of a big ring of poof that he's done by running so fast. And there's and he's scattering comics. He's scattering issues of STCTP. And I, I'm interested in how they've got these pictures of STCTP, because they really do seem to be flapping and scattering, don't they? I don't mean that. I'm interested in the fact that you now I just refer to the comic S-T-C. as STCTP. <laughs> STCTC, I mean. Sonic the comic, the comic. So, looking at these, you're absolutely right. They, they do look like they've been distorted and twisted, wouldn't they? And I mean, if this were published today, then you'd obviously say, oh, it's just been photoshopped or, or you know, done in whatever, you know, designer. But I think these are real. I think uh, they've yep. actually taken photographs yeah, of these distorted yeah. comics on the floor. That's really well, impressive. So how did they flap them? We know Carl Flint likes to yes. do his multimedia. That's who the covers by. It's usually only worth pointing out when it's not Carl Flint. But yeah, I think he's just set to a bunch of his issues that he's had lying around and just yeah. strewn them around the floor. I yeah. get the sense that he put them on on the floor and then got his camera ready and then kicked through them like a heap of leaves <laughs> and took the picture then the dave mckeon of sonic the comic was it dave mckeon who's dave mckeon did you just make a football joke on no sonic of the comic, course the i didn't know he's, uh, he's the sandman uh, front sandman cover man who's all like taking pictures of twigs and being all like oh i'm a whimsical oh, boy I know who making you his mean. little I art genuine... installation boxes yeah. that were the covers Ah, I think I was genuinely thinking of a footballer with a similar name, which we're, is shameful, and I'll go and hide in a corner. We're bringing a strange energy to this, we and are. I think that was what, what was expected. That's right, yeah. What, what we should have done... See, what we would, the original idea, by the way, to get you two on was for the second birthday, because the gimmick was then we'd have two guests. So oh. we should have got three guests for this. We, got, we had Abby, so that counts as the third guest. That counts, she's that got counts. Too much work. She has to go. Even more chaotic. We can't be increasing the guest number once every year. <laughs> I feel like we can, because we're going to hit a sixth birthday at some point. And then there'll be six people all in a room together. It'll be brilliant. It's the podcast equivalent of like plugging Sonic 2 into Sonic and Knuckles into the 32X into the Mega <laughs> <laughs> And it says here, special third birthday issue in an oval that they've cut in half and coloured one half yellow and one half white. It doesn't look good. No. I don't know why they did it. <laughs> it's a triple threat for the third birthday as well with three new mm-hmm. stories. Miracle Planet, Bong. Revolution, Spong. and Grounded. Patong. Doesn't actually tell you what any of those are. just shouts their names at you. They'd normally say new tales or new sonics world or whatever but uh, no free spinner free gift missing alert your news agent now um i haven't even looked to see if i still own this spinner but that's because we saw a picture of it mm-hmm. last issue it's a three-pronged thing it's not a circle it's not a disc is this something you just yeet at somebody you'd, you'd throw it and it might act maybe as a boomerang or maybe just get lost forever or is oh, it no i don't think it comes back at all i think it's just a frisbee but it's it's a little y shape instead of a disc it's essentially a primary school weapon then oh yes yes nice <laughs> yeah, you can really hurt somebody with this You thing. could turn it into a slingshot, you could <laughs> shank somebody with it. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. the thing is, right, with a normal frisbee, as Chris's brother can attest, if you hurl a frisbee at someone and it hits them in the face, you've got a sort of a rounded edge that hits you, and it's going to hurt. Mm. But it's not going to hurt as much as something that is, the, like, fan blades coming towards yeah. you. Yeah, it's a batarang. Yes, but a tri-batarang. <laughs> I don't know what you would call that. 
a tra- I can a, see you trying to think. I'm, what am, I'm trying not to say a tarang. <laughs> There's also an Earthworm Jim 2 Q Zone, Sega World News, and a chance Ooh. to win 80 Sega t shirts. Win 80 Sega t shirts is very ambiguous. And I think that's what they're bringing people in with. You want a pile of 80 t shirts? This is your comment. I would love a. Like, if someone just gave me 80 Sega themed t shirts, like, well, I'm not buying that's any two more a week clothes without, for a year yeah. without having oh. to wash them. I'd have thought, give or take. That's what, if I was rich, that's what I'd do. I'd have enough tops that I don't have to wash anything ever. <laughs> Be brilliant. I'm going to, this party hat, the elastic on it is irritating my underface. So I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to be a lightweight and take it off. But to make up for that, I'm going to replace it with this lovely Sonic the Hedgehog cap. Oh, oh. look at oh. that. Oh. That's sick. That's oh, sick as hell. That dude. is sick. <laughs> <laughs> with that hat, the beard and the glasses, you now look like an insufferable DJ. Thank you. Like, it's lovely, <laughs> but you'd be playing real bleep bloop music and taking yourself very seriously. Well, it's not sufficiently 90s, I have to be honest with you. Oh, <laughs> true. <laughs> Wrong way around. Let's switch to 90s mode. Ready? For our podcast. Get a load of the state of this prick. <laughs> get some hair through the hole. Oh, yes. <laughs> there we go. Were you of the children that bent the peak of the cap into a sort of more of a triangular shape? De- it depended on the fashion of the day. I've done both. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually sincerely worn a baseball cap. I don't think you can sincerely wear them. No. At least not this day and age. Here we go. Is that a Garfield one? It is a Garfield It's, it's a one. cap that somebody made that says actor and comedian, and the sea of comedian <laughs> is Garfield's tail. It's the most disrespectful thing anybody's ever sent me. It's actually amazing. <laughs> hey, Boomers, says Megadroid, way to go. Three whole years of suffering. The humes who think they're in charge have paid off. Doesn't say how, he just uh, continues to suffer them. Uh, it does my pleasure circuits, the power of good, ooh, ooh, to tell you that the UK's official Sega powered comic has reached its triple birthday issue. Stirring round of applause. Yay. I need to adjust this cap, it's too tight. I was waiting to see how long before you actually give up on it. I knew it was no, going to get No, I'm keeping it on. I just, I just needed it to be less tight, but it turns out I was already on the second notch, so I've obviously just got a massive head. Oh, don't talk to me about having a massive head. <laughs> I really like that Cap says think fast on it, although I did misread it at first as think first, which is an unusually <laughs> responsible message, I feel, for Sonic the Hedgehog to be yeah, creating in his so. merchandise. I just yeah. like the implication that gives you, like, plus five int. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Cap of thinking. There's a misplaced apostrophe that enrages me. Where? So, blah, 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 could win one of 80 t-shirt apostrophes. Oh, yeah, that. Oh, t-shirts, t-shirts what, what? Megadroid? Also, where it says, gotta go now, those lazy humes want more crispy bits and squash. Is that Klingon talk for it, crisps? It's party food. Can we just oh, crispy bits. the importance of 90s party food relative yes, to this, oh, absolutely. this introduction? Please so do. I, I popped to the shops before this and I got a few bits and bobs, you know, just as you do. Got back to the car in the car park and thought, you know what, I should have got party rings. Party rings blow. Mm. They're Absolutely a bad biscuit. Got party I, they're, nope. they're awful. You can get mini ones now yeah, well, that you make should, you feel like a giant. You should get ones that are so small they don't exist. I'm on Guy's side on this one. Oh, An underwhelming biscuit, ring. Chris. And What's I your... enjoy party rings. Mm. Uh, although that may be because it was one of a very limited number of things I wasn't allergic to as a child. Liz, I mean, if you put it in front of me, I'm gonna eat it. It's a biscuit <laughs> with sugar on it. But it's just like a little brittle shard of tasteless nothing. What's your preferred <laughs> 90s slash today, frankly, party food, Chris? Ooh, well, hmm. <laughs> I do like a wee bun. 
You know, oh. just, just like a wee bum. Like an iced bum. Just like a wee bum. A bun, yeah. like an iced bum. Like an a iced bum. bum. <laughs> like, a, like a bird's bum. Nice. Sausage roll. It's always a good one. Oh, I love a sausage roll, yeah, too. A little mini sausage roll. A little mini yeah. pork. Oh, yeah, you know, you know those, um, we get cheese wrapped in bacon. What, what parties were you going to? This Jeez, sounds very posh. M&S parties. Well, I see, I've moved far beyond the 90s now, and I'm thinking of mm. when we would pull out the nibbles at Christmas. I think it's what oh, I've moved yeah. on to oh, thinking about. Yeah, 100%. He's just thinking about anything that he wants to eat, generally. Mm. <laughs> I don't know that I've got a favourite party food, because I don't really get invited to parties. <laughs> oh, Billy No Mates over here. I know, yeah. Last time I was at a party that had nibbles was when um, Matt Smith was Doctor Who. When you and Abby come to London and come and visit us, we'll make a pineapple hedgehog with yep. some cubes of cheese sticking on it. Blue cheese, I trust. Hey! <laughs> How about and a variety of boiled idea. eggs in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, otherwise Megadroid's just describing the contents of the strips, and we'll get to mm. those soon enough. He closes out by saying, I'd just like to say a mega huge thank you to the boomers who've stuck with STC since the onset, and to those who have joined along the way believe me you ain't seen nothing yet mm. and i think those sentiments go just the same for all our listeners as well yes we don't really have any better ones we'll just extend the same ones <laughs> <laughs> i mean it doesn't even truly apply to me because i didn't stick with stc to this point no so. i know no it doesn't apply to you at all <laughs> yeah. you're, you're making up for it now this is your penance yeah. And then the lower half of the page is an announcement all change stc on sale Wednesdays. It's happening. It's happening. See, this is it. This is my. This is what I remember. I remember being out on Wednesdays because I remember being on holiday and going like, I'm on holiday. I might, I might miss a Sonic the comic. I've got to go to a news agent on holiday. Um, so much for the old Hume saying about Wednesdays being full of woe. As of the 12th of June, Wednesdays are going to be a lot brighter. As from the next issue. We've had two as froms in a row there. STC 80. Sonic and Co will be available in the shops every alternate Wednesday. Not. Saturday. Could this be a ploy by Dr. Robotnik to try and baffle you boomers? Don't be foiled! Make a note in your calendars and choose Wednesdays as your fave day of the week. Brackets. Fortnight. I don't like it. Bit rude of the publishers to try and blame Dr. Robotnik for a decision that they've made. <laughs> Do you think yeah. they meant to say don't be foiled or don't be fooled? Because don't be foiled. Like, mm. you foil plans. You don't yeah. just get foiled by something happening no, I know. to you. Yeah, well, you'd be odd, foiled in your effort to pick up the comic if you fell for the... And, but if this is a ploy by Dr. Robotnik to baffle boomers, then you should foil it. Yeah, but, you but should... if you were baffled, you would yeah. be foiled. Yeah, I, I get. I don't know. It yeah, in, like your, in your quest, step. in your quest yes. to pick up STC, I think you would be foiled. Yes. Now I don't know if this was some sort of broad whole UK print industry yeah. change thing, but midweek certainly was standard release for a lot of comics and magazines. But uh, we're not changing. I don't think we're still no. going to release on the same days. I crunched the numbers just to be sure, <laughs> but it turns out that if we just keep bringing episodes out on Fridays, we'll be early but we'll be closer to the real-world publication date if we waited until the following Wednesdays. So don't worry, folks. You'll still be getting them on Fridays. You are. <laughs> I'm just watching sums happening above Dave's head. Wednesday, the 12th of June. 12th of June this year is oh, a I Sunday. See. So if oh, we bring it so out rather Friday, than going we'll by the early day of the week, we're going by the number of days. Okay. Yeah. okay, got it. Okay, yeah, so... How long that'll stay true, we don't know, but it'll be fine, won't it? It'll it, be... The only thing that'll mess with it is leap years. It'll be little, little. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> the Bigger Shots. 
Toy Story's popped in on the Mega Drive. We had an advert for that last issue. Obviously, it worked. We had the review last issue. Oh, we did, didn't we? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Actually, we had the review of Magic Carpet last issue, too, and it's jumped in at number three on the Saturn charts. There it is. You'd think they were coordinating or something. And Wipeout jumped in at one. Did any of you guys play Tasmania Escape from Mars? Because I think I've talked before about how nightmarish and empty the first Taz game for the Mega Drive was, but I never played Escape from Mars. I liked the original, but we've hashed that out yeah. on this show before. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, never played Mars. Uh, but no, never played Escape from Mars. Don't think I even remembered it existed until I read about it in an early issue of this comic for this podcast. Mm. Seeing worms on the Sega Saturn sounds weird. I remember having mm. worms on the Mega Drive, and playing that with a controller was difficult because mm. it was the slow very sort of pixely worms, but the idea of that being on the Saturn, which is a new and powerful console. I played worms on the, I think it was a 486 or similar. Well, as God um, intended, but Well, exactly, as God intended, at my cousin's house with a massive bottle of Coca-Cola, which we drank throughout the course of the entire afternoon and made ourselves slightly queasy. <laughs> um, folks, <laughs> if you can think of a better way to spend a Saturday afternoon circa 1995 than playing cannot. worms with a massive <laughs> bottle of Coke that makes it you ill, amazing. can't think of it. <laughs> I, of course, played Worms on the Amiga. It's the thing he says. He said the thing. The Mega CD games. I owned or played, I think, four of those. Which ones? I've got still got my copy of Earthworm Jim upstairs. Soulstar, I remember being great. I think I had Tomcat Alley and Sylphid. But the saddest memory of mine of the Mega CD, I owned a copy of Snatcher. Oh! I bought it when I was... a like, in my 20s or something. I managed to get a copy of it for about 60 quid. And for those of you listening really? who don't know, it's a point-and-click cyberpunk adventure game directed by Hideo Kojima of Metal Gear Solid fan. It's of some note, isn't it? And it's incredible. It's, the Mega CD version is voice-acted. It's beautiful. I, I played it and finished it, and it was great. And then one day, I was broke, and I had to sell it. Uh, I no. sold it for 60 quid. Uh, it routinely sells no. for over 300 pounds. Oh. Uh, if you get a chance to play it, obviously through purely licit owning it means, I highly recommend it. It's got light gun segments, so like it'll go from being a point-and-click adventure to now use your lethal enforcer's big blue plastic light gun and point at your screen. It's quite something. It's like a combination of Blade Runner and the Terminator. Hmm. And uh, it features your little guy, your little pal, a little robot pal that follows you around called Metal Gear. And I, th- no. I think that must have been released after Metal Gear on the MSX. But a little little robot that follows you. And uh, last thing that I want to say about the charts is that last episode we wondered why the game in the number seven position is just called Oh yeah, D. And uh, someone suggested on Twitter, and I'd like to attribute the things people say, but I never remember who anyone is when they say it, is that the character in it is descended from Dracula, and therefore it's probably similar to that other thing that's like an anime or a manga or something called like Vampire Hunter D. Vampire Hunter D. Uh, Vampire Hunter D, yes. Where they're descended from Dracula, and that's why it's called that. Dial D for Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) I remember once when we were in school and we were doing, um, so I must have been in year six, I think, so about 10, 11, that age, and we were reading in class a point horror by R.L. Stein, I believe it was him. I could have got this wrong. Anyway, for some reason, Dracula's grave was in the book, and we knew it was Dracula's grave because it was 
Alucard. <laughs> so Dracula spelt backwards. And I wrote this on my hand just to check that it was definitely <laughs> Dracula backwards and got into massive trouble at home for doing rude things. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, no, because you had all religious parents and you'd written... <laughs> Very religious parents. You've written Dracula like, backwards on your hand. Why have you written Dracula backwards is, on your hand? Oh, I just wanted to know. That is actually a bit suspicious. <laughs> it's worse than writing it frontwards, isn't it? Because if you isn't, wrote it yes. frontwards, it, but if you wrote it backwards, that's like what all them evil Satanists who put yeah. Yeah. messages in pop music for children do. Upside down crosses and stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. quite ironic that Dracula made someone cross. Oh. Hey! Oh. <laughs> Return to the Miracle Planet, written by Nigel Kitching, art by Rob Corona. Corona. Colors by Steve White and letters by Ellie DeVille. When the Miracle Planet, still cyberformed into the likeness of a huge metallic's head, reappears over Mobius, Sonic, Amy, and Johnny return to the planet to reverse the Alpha device and restore the planet's natural greenery. Sonic is surprised to find a lone metallic still on the planet, but when he discovers it's only a Mobian the Brotherhood captured, disguised with metallic's parts, he has to put his speed to use to save the guy from an arrow fired in haste by Amy. I actually kind of gasped when I saw that arrow going towards his head. Right? Ah, uh, this is such a good one. <laughs> so good, I'm just going to celebrate with a little bite of cake. Ooh, bite of cake, oh. yes. Yes, 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 bit of cake. Lovely bit of Sonic. Mm. So, I've not been keeping up with the comic. Occasionally I'll dip in, mainly if there's a particularly exciting sounding decap attack, I'll, I'll find mm. the comic and I'll have a read of it. Looking at this now, I think this is maybe two and a bit years after I last had to sort of had to, had to after I last <laughs> read through an issue to to guest. I, I forgot how lovely it is. Mm. The artwork is great. Yes. And obviously as a kid I read this and so it throws me way back to being sort of nine or ten ish. Yeah. And it's it is gorgeous, and this is what Sonic is to me. These, mm -hmm. the shapes of Sonic and his little daft friends. Mm -hmm. That is Sonic, sort of permanently etched in my head. Yeah. And some of the, the is it Tyson Hess animations for like Sonic Origins, the, the little animations that came out of that, they're close to it, and that feels kind of Sonicy to me. But nothing will ever replace this. Like the yeah. the, the second panel in this, when you see Sonic and he's got his, his hands on his hips and he's sort of looking off. And he's a little bit daft and a little bit soft, but still cool. I really like how business-like Sonic is in this comic <laughs> to me. I, it feels like he's really settled into his role. He knows what his job is. He's a protector of Mobius. Mm. Um, and although he doesn't have as much of a big part, perhaps, at first glance in what's happening here, and I think that's partly his motivation. You know, he feels a little bit like a spare wheel, so he goes off and sees what's happening. But the way that he's taking control, just, you know, you guys look after this. I'm going to go find out what's happening. Little hands on his hips. He looks like a little foreman here, maybe on a building site or something. All mm -hmm. he needs is a clipboard and a little yellow jacket. And he's kind of supervising everything that the folks are doing. I love it. It does a bit. There's something slightly uncomfortable about how up his crotch we're looking in that picture. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what it is that's throwing you there. It took me a moment mm -hmm. to recognise it. His arms oh, are God, the wrong colour. Which has the effect of making him look, because we cannot see his feet from this angle, <laughs> incredibly nude. Yeah. He looks super nice. Mm. And one of his rear spike tails is dangling kind of grondlewoods <laughs> in a 
in a very unpleasant and unfortunate position. And in fact, if we look across the whole of the first page, his arms are always blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the third page onwards, his arms are the correct colour. And in the second page, it's as if Steve White has noticed what he did on the first page, noticed that it's too late to do anything about it, and gradually transitioned from blue to creamy colour, yeah. as if to suggest it was always shadow as all if, along. Yeah, <laughs> so his arms just changed colour progressively over a page. <laughs> no, uh, further to what Kat was saying there about Sonic's role in this, I really enjoyed Sonic's role in this because I think it plays uh-huh. into stuff we've been seeing the last couple of issues. Mm-hmm. It feels like Kitching is finding new things to do with Sonic within his little group dynamic because we've had the issue with Porker where he gets like genuinely angry and everyone else has to take a stand against him and he has to admit that he's wrong. And then we had last issue, Fighting Plasma where we had the idea of Amy sort of surreptitiously guiding his movements from behind the scenes as it were making him think just the right thing at just the right moment and then in this one spare wheel like Kat said it's a look at Sonic who I can't think of another instance of this having happened before he's not the guy with the plan he is just the guy standing around who has to essentially act like he's supervising when really he doesn't have anything to do here it's Kintobor who's come up with the plan to hack into the alpha device and reverse it they've got the Kintobor computer with him Amy's got the Kintobor computer Johnny's the one climbing the alpha device to plug the cable into it and Sonic's just standing there a little huffy you know and um he's like oh, this is this is never gonna work and amy's like of course it's gonna work and kentimore's like oh certainly it'll work all i had to do is insert a new subroutine and, and Sonic goes hey i understand you think you can make the alpha device run backwards and undo all this stuff i'm not stupid you know <laughs> it's like he's genuinely a little put out that he has no role in this yeah, he's on the wrong mission, isn't he? He's been assigned to the wrong little away team. And essentially finds an excuse to wander off. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome return for Kinterbob, by the way. We've not seen yeah, him in ages. I'm just thinking back to the comic when Porker left. So I have actually been reading along with some of these. Um, Swat. Really, really gone into it, actually. <laughs> um, and I think that was, as you said at the time, a really interesting little piece of mm. role modelling for the younger folks who were reading this. Mm. In that, as you said, Sonic and Porker had a really real bust up based on Sonic's lack of emotional intelligence and his inability to see that other people have different skill sets that can complement his rather than compete with him. And I think in this comic, it's a really good example of him kind of growing as a character because at one point, maybe he might have tried to compete in some way with what Johnny and Amy are Mm. doing. But here, he's actually recognising that, you know what? No, there is a place for him here. He thinks he's seen something. And I think we have a little bit of irony here, which is really interesting interesting for the readers because we kind of go oh yeah Sonic you're feeling like a bit of a spare wheel are you just trying to invent something for yourself to do no he has actually seen something Um, and he uses his skills to complement the other members of the group rather than trying to work against them and I think it's a really nice piece of character development there's two things that strike out to me on page two. One, we've got Johnny, I think, bringing a cable uh, up to the, the miracle yeah. device to plug it in. But the way Johnny is shaded, he's sort of the same colour as the cable, and the textures on his trousers and on the cable are the same. So it looks like he's got one incredibly long, long wiggly leg, leg snaking off into the... Just one really long wiggly leg. And the other thing, and this does seem like a, a bit of a contrast to Kat's very insightful point about <laughs> emotional growth... This really highlights how bare-ass naked Sonic the Hedgehog is. Because well, Johnny saying, Lightfoot yeah. is super clothed. Mm. Like, he's he's wearing hella really, clothes. Really, really clothed. Amy's yeah. clothed. And then Sonic is feeling the breezes. Do you think... Could it be... Okay, so these are animal people. 
Is it that Johnny and Amy are sort of a bit pervy? <laughs> so what they do is they dress in clothes, which is weird for animals to do. And that's just their thing that they do. And Sonic's like, do you know what? I'm not going to yuck their yum. You can dress in clothes if you want. Either that or they're the only ones that have eaten from the tree of forbidden knowledge and they've learned shame. I was going to say, surely that's what it proves to us is that Sonic the Hedgehog does not have original sin. <laughs> yeah, <it's> <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's why he's the ultimate life form. Maybe Sonic would be impeded by clothing. You know, he has his little yeah. spin dash attack. Maybe that would get right. in the way. Which is why... Maybe, in fact... Every morning, Sonic does get dressed. Yeah. The problem is, he around about quickly. half an hour into his day, something happens. He's either got to move quickly mm-hmm. or he's got to attack a bandic mm-hmm. or whatever it happens to be. Five minutes later, he's just shredded them all and he's like, well, there's no point in even putting those back on again. No, he doesn't shred. He knows it'll happen, so he takes them all off, especially exactly. to, to he's hear just it. Given up. Yeah. This is well, why. Well, that's the old, uh, why don't they make the aeroplane out of the same stuff they make the black box out of? That's why he yeah. only wears yeah. the sneakers. Yeah. They, you know, they can't yeah. make clothes. Yeah. Kinderbore's gone now. Well, I suppose he's not. He probably. Kinderbore doesn't have hands with which to stitch <laughs> him a suit of clothes made out of the same fabric as his special friction reducing trainers. This is why the Olympics should be done in the nude. I've been saying this <laughs> again and again. Return you and the, the ancient Greeks, Dave, you're just never off yeah. the topic, are you? No. I think all sports should be done in it. Imagine yeah. snooker. Yeah. <laughs> just watching one of them clamber wetly onto the table. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm bringing the tone down, but you knew what you were getting. Yeah. yeah. Well aware. You complement each other quite well in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> So you know that there's something up with this metallics he comes across right away. Yeah. Partly because it's got normal speech bubbles instead of with the big jaggy electronic tails. Ooh, well spotted. But also it's red and gold and that just feels like a cock up to me. That's wrong. Yeah, that is wrong. I don't know why there's no, there is no story reason why they would have coloured him red. That's just incorrect. That's the emperor metallics. Yeah. And no other. There's never been a red little... But, like, where's he got this disguise from? Because you assume what? what happened is he found a dead Metallics and he essentially climbed in it. No, no, he does explain it at the end. So oh. It turns out that this is, as I said, it's a bird. It's a little stretch, to be honest. It's a bird. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Sonic asks him what, what's going on. And he says, he was captured by the Metallics for experimentation, they said. Mm-hmm. I escaped from my cell, but there was no way I could get off the planet, so I disguised myself using parts I stole from their assembly line. Right. And they're not going to be assembling another Emperor. No, that's it. I mean, these are obviously just supposed to be parts of a regular Metallics, but they've been miscolored by Steve White. I mean, I'm glad, Guy, you had such nice things to say about the art, to be honest, because I'm not warming to Corona as colored by Steve White. Specifically that, there's just something about the way Steve White colors Rob Corona's art that I don't think brings out the best in it for me. Oh, I didn't have a problem. Um, And and I particularly liked the Fazak panel where... um... Yes, the Fazak. Oh, that's a good panel, sure, yeah. On that page, actually, the the first panel on that page where um, Amy and Johnny are doing cable things. Amy and Johnny are doing things you can only see on cable, you mean? Yes. (laughs) Johnny wishes. Johnny's saying, uh, hey, look over there. Is that what I think it is? And there's a tiny, tiny, tiny blue Sonic chasing the Metallics. But the way the Metallics is drawn looks like Dee Dee from Dexter's Lab (laughs) mid-prance. There's something really whimsical. What I quite like about that is that we've just had these couple of pages of real drama with Sonic and what he thinks is his Metallics. Oh, no, are they back? We remember the destruction that they wrought last time. But then in this panel, where the focus is, as we say, on Amy and Johnny kind of actually getting on with the work of sorting out the planet in the foreground, in the background, we've got this charming little comic vignette of a teeny, tiny little Sonic just <laughs> be 
speeding along the horizon. So all of that fuss and nonsense is just reduced to a tiny little cloud in the background, and that's really <laughs> charming for me. There's a nice use of the foregrounding in the background there to tell even more of the story about how Sonic is kind of growing as part of a collective, and it's not just about Sonic anymore. But then Sonic does jump on this metallics, and he isn't going to spin dash it like normal. Mm. He's going to like stab it through the face with a spike <laughs> that he's found. Yes, um, we should say that the metallics is running because Sonic is not giving it a chance to speak. No, why would he? So the bird inside is not able to explain what's going on because Sonic just keeps belting it over and over. And then just as Sonic is about to stab it, the bird inside is like, oh, don't make me, but he has to switch on the yeah. the chest blaster, Otherwise which he's gonna get stabbed. blazes this huge blast up into the sky. Sonic is sent flying upside down. And this is where I think there's a really good marriage of talents here between the ink and the colour mm-hmm. to show everything goes sepia tone, essentially. Like, all yeah, of the lovely. light is just bleached out and Sonic is just kind of made out of hatching and shading. And shadows, yeah. Lovely. But it's very... They've managed to craft a very 3D back of Sonic, which is no mean feat. Mm-hmm. And eight mean spikes. <laughs> And then and Amy goes, no! And her mouth kind of claymations to the front of her face as she sees it. <laughs> a very gormless face. Uh, Amy holding the wrong bow again, sadly. Oh, yes. Back to the long yes. bow. Corona hasn't got the updated reference yet. <laughs> What's quite nice here is that we get the page turn and then we get the denouement of what's actually happening here. And the Metallics says something incredibly unexpected, obviously, for what we'd, we'd expect from Metallics. You know, are you all right? I use the blaster's lowest power setting. It's expressing concern. And Sonic just looks absolutely baffled here, um, kind of nicely reflecting, I think, what the viewer is seeing. Although, again, there's a nice layer of irony here in that we know what was going on. We could tell this wasn't an ordinary Metallics. We were ahead of this before Sonic was. And it's a really nice way to get the reader kind of engaged and, and viewing this. Um, if I were... I know I might have said this before, I used to be a school teacher. If I were getting younger folks, you know, about this kind of comic age to think about dramatic irony, I would show them this story. Yeah. Genuinely present this comic to them because, you know, it's a, a really nice way of demonstrating the reader knowing something before someone in the comic does. It's a really lovely expression of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't think of that. I think, as a, let's call it a twist, it's a little bit of a cheat in that there was never, ever, any indication in any previous story that the Metallics has had any interest in capturing anybody for any kind of experimentation. No, not even though... There are plenty like, of no. gaps within the timeline in which they could have done it, so I don't call it yeah. into question, you know, in that sense. But what purpose experimentation? They wanted to eliminate organic life, you know? And if that's what they want to do with people... We haven't really found out what happened to Porker while he was here. I guess maybe that. Maybe he was experimented on. Well, I mean, they made that porker metallic, so Mm. I guess they would have had to study him, if only in the sense that that meant they had to sculpt his likeness and, and, you know, examine him closely in order to replicate his likeness. Which brings to mind Porker Lewis in a brightly lit art studio with five or six metallics <laughs> standing around <laughs> holding the thumb out to judge proportion. You know, little there's a charcoal sketches. Yeah, little charcoal sketch. There's a chap in the corner with a really nice kind of oil paint palette out. How are you getting on in there? Oh, we're doing alright. Give us a little bit longer. We've just got to get this bit perfect. Porker just softly weeping in the centre as he turns... <laughs> I was about to talk about him <laughs> dropping his dressing gown, but you've made it creepy. <laughs> <laughs> On this page where it's revealed that the metallics isn't what we thought it was, the second panel, and again, any of these panels in this story where it pulls back to Amy and Johnny and we see Sonic and the metallics in the background, 
It's really charming. It's <laughs> it's little fine line sketches with block colours, and the little Sonic sitting on the yeah. floor with his little wide eyes, and it's just a little blob of colour, and he looks like a drawing of a toy of Sonic, yes. if that makes sense. Yes. And it's like the Metallics is sort of acting out the terrible things that have happened, and Sonic's sitting there going, what? <laughs> but because it's pulled back to a little sketch, it's cute as a button. Yeah. Look at it. Oh, he's all round and soft and squishy. <laughs> as he should be. And then Amy shoots the arrow, and well, she there is the Metallics is moving in for the kill when it's really coming in to check that Sonic's okay. And we, uh, th- this is the point where I genuinely kind of gasped because the bird takes the head off at this point and we see the arrow going <laughs> towards the back of his head. And what I love about this that I didn't remember about it is that not only, it, Sonic doesn't just stop it. That's it. That's what, yeah. <laughs> he does it so fast that the bird doesn't notice and he doesn't yep. tell him. Sonic's just yep. like, oh, wait a minute. Right, was that you were saying? Just and in that time, he's run around him. Out of the air. Yeah, and he's sat back down again to carry on listening to the story. And then Amy and Johnny come running over, and Amy's like, what What happened to my arrow? And he's like, "What? Uh, something flew past over there. It couldn't have. I was right on target. Well, I don't know. I'd get some practice in if I were you. <laughs> this annoyed me. <laughs> Sonic, say, you gaslighting right, prick. Yeah, as as <laughs> resident woman on this podcast, uh-huh, I'm going to have to uh-huh. be annoying and say, this really annoyed me. And, it, uh-huh. and I know it was in the water, but this kind of gaslighting of a competent woman, um, which... So there's two, two ways of reading this. One of these is Sonic has been an absolute sod here in doing uh-huh. that. And that's genuinely not okay because it's perpetuating this kind of idea where if women are competent, they have to be knocked down. Um, and number two is, oh, it's just a bit of a laugh. Oh, it's just having a bit of fun. Oh, look at them doing it. And the second one is more dangerous and more pernicious. And it really annoys me, genuinely. Well, there's number three, which is that, isn't this like a volley back? Didn't Amy do something like this last well, issue? Well, that's it. Yes, this is a, almost a, a companion piece to last issue, where we actually sort of see Amy as the power behind the throne, carefully nudging Sonic and saying things to him to get his goat to make sure he acts in a certain way that benefits her and the Freedom Fighters and Mobius as a whole, without him even knowing about it. She ends up fixing the problem, but tricking him into believing he did to feed his ego because Mobius needs a figurehead or something. Oh, I see. Mm. She was managing his emotions. Yeah. Yeah, I've never heard that before. Yeah. (laughs) I really like the drawing of Amy in the second but last panel when she's thinking, like, I couldn't have. It was right on target. Like, there's something quite sort of still about her arms and big wide eyes, and it's a nice (laughs) drawing of shock that's not overblown. Yes. Oh, his his arm's gone blue again. Oh, yeah. Boop-a-da-boop. On the previous panel, the reflection of the Metallic's armour in Sonic's nose does make him look like Sonic the red Nose Rainhog. It is an oddly bright red <laughs> nose, isn't it? That'd be super cute. Imagine if you could get a little red nose Sonic for your Christmas tree as an ornament. You can take any Sonic and paint his nose red with a little bit of Citadel paint on it. The oh, government can't stop you. It'd feel a little bit like writing in a book, though, or something. Just a bit <laughs> forbidden, you know? And then they all walk off into the sunset, and all the colours turn all sunsetty, and it's lovely. Well, I don't know if they walk off into the sunset, but that's what the colours Yeah, the colours go all sunsetty, And they mm. say it'll be at least a month before the Alpha device can put the planet back to rights. So uh, maybe we'll check in again, and maybe we won't. You know, this whole strip is just mm. a little bit of um, 
tidying away the last bit of business left over from the Brotherhood of Metallic storyline. God, yeah, we might never see the Miracle Planet again. Yeah. Are, we, are we exiting the Miracle Planet era of Sonic the Comic here? Quite possibly. I, I genuinely don't know if we see it again. Don't know how I feel about that. Something I meant to say at the start was how much I enjoyed the metallic-sized Miracle Planet tethered to the... Because I think this is the first time I've seen it since I read this when I was a kid, and it's just this... It's an outrageously weird image, but it's really cool. Like, this big, (laughs) spooky metal robot hedgehog head tethered to a planet. And I like the way it's almost echoed in the last panel where you've got the pile of metallics armor with the arrow next to it just sitting in the corner. And the Miracle Planet is kind of painted red with the reflection. And so you've got these two... You start and end on a red metallics head. One glaring down on the planet with menace and power, the other dead in a ditch, lying in a heap. Yeah, a visual metaphor almost for how we truly have now tidied away and left in the past the whole metallics thing that Mm. has been over the top of the last, well, well, it goes back to issue 50, so over a full year of the comic. Can I make a tremendous confession? Mm. I still don't know the difference between all the Metal Sonics. It was only through listening to this podcast that I thought that the Metal Sonic in Sonic 2 was the same as the Metal Sonic in Sonic 3. And Sonic and Knuckle... Isn't it all the same guy? Well, they look completely different. Do they? Yes! <laughs> I mean, oh. yes. Yes. Oh. I mean, the, the Metal Sonic in Sonic CD and the one in Sonic and Knuckles don't look as different from each other as they both look from the robot Sonic in Sonic 2, which was, you know, grey. Oh, yeah. And, it was quite, quite round and quite grey. Just on the huge hedgehog-shaped planet that's tethered to Mobius by a chain. I wonder how Sonic feels about that. (laughs) On the one hand, it might be, you know, we know he's got a little bit of an ego on him, and in a way, he might think it's actually secretly kind of cool that there's a kind of vaguely Sonic-shaped massive planet that, that every now and then appears tethered by a chain. But on the other hand, do we think there's a little bit of Sonic that's like a bit kind of, kind of oh, that was a bit of a mess up, wasn't it? It's a bit of a reminder of that. I'll tell you who I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of a random Mobian who lives like on the other side of the planet <laughs> and then doesn't know what's going on over no oh, anywhere. Happened. They live on the other side of the world to like the Metropolis Zone or to the Green Hills. They don't know what's going on. And they're just one day, they just look up and there's this massive robot hedgehog in the sky and they're like, that stuff must be going on again that I keep <laughs> hearing little bits about. It'd be like waking up one morning and there's just a giant gun in the sky pointed at your <laughs> city. You're like, is that seemed that's threatening. I don't. I didn't hear anything about that on the news. When, when did they bring that in? <laughs> I seem to remember us talking about that very briefly during the Return of Chaotic storyline, Dave. Where it's easy for us to forget, as people who've read this and just remember Metallics as their own entity with their own story to tell, mm-hmm. to forget that it even is technically a robot version of Sonic's head in the sky. Because we, <laughs> yeah. we just look at it and we just see There's Metallics. Metallics' head, yeah. you know? Yeah, but it's Sonic's head, yeah. but just horrible. He must be, as I say, a little bit in two minds about it. On the one hand, massive <laughs> ego boost to have your own yeah. metal floating head in the sky. On the other, mm, a little bit threatening. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a metal floating head of your own face, which cool, but it's built by and for people who, who want yeah. to murder explicitly you. Mm. And everyone else on your planet yeah. yeah little column a little column b really isn't it <laughs> next issue <laughs> oh dave <laughs> it's next, the one right next issue this next is issue one, yeah? We're super sonics back oh. and yes dave it is the one. Oh my god year four kicking off mm, 
The Megadroid was right. You ain't seen nothing yet. Mm-hmm. Stick with us, listeners. Refuse. Refuse. It takes a certain amount of daring to give over an entire page to reviewing a pinball video game. I think that's not a criticism necessarily of the game itself on my part. You understand. But what is there to say? I've got a little thing to say, which is that uh, this is by Digital Illusions. And that means that this is the last in, probably the last, certainly the latest, in a long line of extremely popular games on On the the Amiga! (laughs) I think packaged in with a lot of Amigas, the ones that came with Zool often came with pinball fantasies as well. And... It's one of those things. All it was was a pinball game. But everybody who had it played it, including myself, regardless of whether they were into pinball games, which I wasn't. Because it was just so well made that it felt good to play. It felt like your Amiga was doing something like, wow, this is a good machine. And the main thing was that it had absolutely incredible music. Some of the best anywhere on the Amiga because it, the music was done by, well, Digital Illusions. They started off as this demo scene group, which are the people I've mentioned before who just try and make computers do new things and they show these off at these parties. They formed this group to make a legit game, Digital Illusions. And then they became Digital Illusions and it's something like something entertainment. Anyway, it's D-I-C-E and they're now DICE and now they make Battlefield and things like this. They're one of the... Oh. They're one of the bigger games producers now. And they made this, did they? And they made this. That's interesting. For this is True Pinball on the Saturn, we didn't say. No, we didn't. Reviewed by David Gibbon. But I don't see that. It's just I was. I have to ask because it says it's been published by Ocean and it doesn't mention who made it anywhere. Yeah, well, the answer is Dice. And they were very good. I don't know if this was any good. I haven't heard anyone particularly talking about this. I bet it was fine. <laughs> I mean, it, the, the screenshots look good, I thought. Yeah, they do. They yeah, you know, really as a yeah. pinball, it's got that slight 3D aspect to it. Definitely next gen, isn't it? Yeah, yes. It looks real. Pinball's one of those games, or one of those, like, objects that I always think I'd like to be good at. Mm, yeah. As a pop culture artifact, yeah. a pinball table is undeniably cool. It's yeah. big, it's physical, it makes clattering noises, it might have a picture of the Adams family on it, and it's, <laughs> it's cool as hell. But then when I go like, ah, oh, neat, I'm going to put 50p in this and have, oh, I've lost. Okay, I'm going to do this again. And I'm like, oh, no, I suck at this. And I've never played a real one. Oh, Remind me to. next time we find a pinball machine to teach you how to play. Are pinball. you a pinball wizard? Not a wizard. Have, but we, I'm like... have we been married all this time and I'm only just we... learning that you are a competent pinballist? I'm not bad at a little bit of the old pinball. What? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say I was particularly good at it myself, but I don't put the coin in and immediately lose. No, yeah, yeah. I can kick going. <laughs> I play a mean pinball. Yeah, I play a pretty mean pinball, yeah. I can manage a couple of flaps, but in the same way that I can, like, I'm all right at ice skating until I need to stop. Very meditative, getting on a good pinball streak. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the zone. Chris, you, you say that it's a ballsy move to commit a page to a review of a pinball. Something that struck out at me when I read this was the line, each table can be tilted through a number of 3D angles, offering mm. increased playability and gameplay. And that just can't be true. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, there is no better angle than looking down the table, is there? Yeah, I suppose 
maybe looking directly onto the table from above. And But they haven't shown us anything. I just thought about playing ping ball from the other way round. From the perspective of the ball. No, <laughs> from the other way round. So imagine the table's upside down and gravity. Yeah, no, worse. exactly. And now I feel queasy. What? Yeah. What? When I read that, I imagined it tilted sideways yes. to fit yeah, a widescreen yeah, yeah. format. And it's like, no, I don't want to see the pinball going that way. No. It's about gravity. It's about gravitas. <laughs> <laughs> Graphically superb, using 32,000 colours, the game has four different tables, which range from law and justice through to extreme sports. There are four tables and you name two of them as if there was as if law and justice and extreme sports sit at opposite ends of a spectrum. Like <laughs> I really wanted that to be lawn justice. <laughs> like, like moles come up, you put on a little wig and you try them for their crimes. And then you shoot a pinball at them. I think pinball should be played in the nude. I've been saying that again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not reading the title of this next one, Dave. You have to read it. Cotton Pickin' Compo! It's absolutely the only way to get away with saying it. You gotta put on your own <laughs> prospector voice. T-shirt shirkers beware! 80 Sega long sleeves must be won! Those generous humes at Sega are in the party mood, which is why STC has 80, comma, 100% cotton, comma, Sega Mega Gear labels up for grabs! There's a lot of details there. Mega Gear labels? Yeah, Mega Gear labels. Well, I'll tell you what, it says Mega Gear on the t- picture of the top, so I'm guessing at this point Sega had brought out some clothes that they were trying to No, it's just... Flog. They don't have 80 100% cotton Sega Mega Gear labels. They've got t-shirts. Mega They've Gear They've got t-shirts. T-shirts. Not, yeah. Yes. The... No, I, I'm just assuming that's cool clothes people talk that I don't know about. That's possible. I'm wearing my latest label. Yeah, I want one of these. I've never been fashionable in my entire life. And Can I want one of these, this. and that's either a good thing or a bad thing. The S logo on that t-shirt looks a little bit like a fascist symbol. I think <laughs> it's the red oh. square with the black lines on it. Yes, it is the Sega S, so I don't want to reimagine that as a fascist symbol no. too much. But yeah, something about the colour scheme. I have been fashionable ever in my life, but then I took 30 years off. And now I'm right back to it with my backwards <laughs> baseball cap, cap yep. again. And I'm once again fashionable, and it feels good. Everyone should try this. You look well trendy, circa 1993. Yeah. I look mega trendy. Yeah, the, you the do. bit of hair you've got coming through the hole in the cap is very tails. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So to win one of these t-shirts, you just have to answer the following question. Sega's forthcoming futuristic indoor theme park, Sega World, will oh. open in which famous London site? Hint, the answer is somewhere in this issue. Miracle Planet. (laughs) I assumed these t-shirts would all be XL size only, as is so often the way with these. But they do have 80 of them, which is uh, not often the case. Uh. Normally, whenever they offer an XL size only, it's because they've got one or two promotional items that the company has sent round that they're auctioning off. But uh, it does stress they are one size only, but does not stipulate what that size is. The Ghost Ship, Part 6, written by Nigel Kitching. Oh no! Sorry! Big pun! Oh goodness gracious! The Ghost Ship, Part 6, written by Nigel Kitching. By Nigel Dobbin. Letters by Elena Fell. Knuckles makes a brave stand against the evil Tantoror, but they easily overpower him and reclaim their idol. 
they attempt to use it to return to their dimension, only to discover that they are already there, having been transported by Ecletos while Knuckles was keeping them busy. Ecletos returns Knuckles, Plunder, and company to Scourge Bay, and having lost the idol, Plunder almost reneges on his deal to give Knuckles his stash of parchments about the floating island, until Zorabel steps in to remind him who's boss around here. Arr! <laughs> <laughs> you're getting the most out of your pirate voice there because we don't know when we'll get it's to use it one, again you know? now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is the final part of the ghost ship, so who knows when we'll next see Plunder and get to do pirate oh. voice on the show again. I'm sure we'll see him again though, won't we? Oh, definitely. Can I yeah. make a start just by saying how viscerally unsettling the main image of Knuckles on the first page of this strip is? It, it's because, <laughs> oh, you must have talked about this before, his mouth is solidly off to the west of his face, and I, re- <laughs> I hate it. And he's got a wide face. There's so much smooth, just face, and then mm. just up in the northwestern corner is his actual mouth hole. You know when you see those optical illusions where you look at it one way and it's an old lady and you look at it another way and it's a young it's woman? It's um, In this one, I kind of oscillate wildly between this being absolutely fine. It's just like an anime or manga style. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's obviously drawing from the kind of Japanese style of the original animation. And then I will just switch instantly to this is an unholy <laughs> abomination and his mouth is from an entirely different entity altogether. And I can't <laughs> quite get to a place of stability between those two poles well in this panel in particular as well knuckles is kind of diving out towards us and there's a real fisheye lens effect on like the his head it's not just that his head is bigger than you know his feet trailing behind him it has a sort of like triplets of belleville cyclist with the big nose kind of look to it where it's really like bull his face is itself bulging out towards us. No, I'm with Kat now on this one, yeah. Nothing registered about that as wrong to me at all at first, until Guy really just pointed it out, and now I'm looking at it and going, yeah, and you know what I think it is? You know what I think it is what? that's doing it? It's the fact you can see his tongue. Yep. Yes. Mm. Like, makes, there's a tube yeah. there. That's always a risk. And his teeth, there's um, two separate sets yeah. of teeth. It's absolutely a mouth that has <laughs> been drawn on Knuckles's face. Yep. But it doesn't necessarily look like it's Knuckles' mouth. Well, it's because the tongue implies that we're looking at the front of the mouth. Yes, yeah. there's a, there's a not tube the going side down. of the mouth. You could fit another three of those mouths on that face. That would be worse. Guy, you've reminded me there with your comment about the three mouths that I recently dreamt that I decided to shave my moustache. But, but on the way, I just shaved gaps in it and combed it to different directions so that I had multiple little moustaches across yes. my moustache area. Do this! <laughs> do this. <laughs> Theoretically, somebody could do that, you know, just, just cut it in half and divide it there and there so that you've got two moustaches side by side. Be the trendsetter you've always wanted to be, Dave. <laughs> there goes old Dave, three moustaches, Bulma. <laughs> I don't know that we ever truly get to see these Tanta Roar achieve the full potential that the story tells us that they have as a threat. You know, they talk about how they have 
magical powers beyond your understanding, and they're, they're these godlike beings from another dimension. But all mm. that they actually do is one of them reaches his hand, phases it through Knuckles to, to take the idol out of his hand on the other side of him. That is a good bit. I though. like that bit. It's yeah, good. I like that a this, lot. It's a great moment, but... And I love how <laughs> Nigel Dobbin has illustrated that with these odd little gold bubbles, and they're meant to be magic little bursts, but it almost has a diseased look, like it's a, yes. it is this body horror moment. I love the way these beings are portrayed. There's only yeah. they're, they're monochrome in a kind of shades yeah. of burnt umber and orange, and it mm. gives them an incredibly otherworldly, threatening kind of appearance. And so much at odds with all the other cartoony, really brightly coloured characters. Yeah, of, when Simpson turns up in this, it's genuinely surprising. Yeah, yeah, and, and the contrast and. I'm, I know it's, you know, Colour Theory 101, but the way that they're contrasted against that blue background as well is just gorgeous. The, so I, I really enjoy that. So this panel here with the arm coming through Knuckles. Knuckles really doesn't like it. That's with the blue background. The immediate next panel is on a white background, seen almost from above and pulled out a bit. Knuckles is still on the floor. It's like he's holding his legs, just going, ah, uh, ah. Uh. And it, yeah. that genuinely gets across the horror of having yeah. a spectral hand pushed through yeah. you and to grab no something. And there's no floor. They're floating in this otherworldly space. Hang on, with those golden bubbles, are these guys made of Lucozade? <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. That bit of Knuckles just lying on the floor going, ah, ah. Yeah. It's just A-H three times, but in a bigger bolder font than usual like mm -hmm. he's going through something the likes of which yeah. we don't usually yeah. see and in sonic the comic to see knuckles the hard man yeah. of sonic the comic reduced to this yeah. catatonic fetal position on an inexistent floor is a bit like oh hang on a minute these monsters really mean business don't they well there's no panel border at all and it kind of gives this impression of this white concussion space that he's just shivering mm. in now it's not because also that was two panels ago that, that had the same trick. There was no border then either and nothing happened to him yet. But whatever, it still does. Yeah, absolutely. And then we get a whole page of the ghost ship, which I'd always, I'd forgotten they were on. You never get a look at the ghost ship in this one, but for you two, they've been on this blue ghost ship and it just starts to dissolve around them. And that's kind of the first you see of it is this weird, whooshy, liquidy shape. And then as we're zooming out while they're all floating around in the sky as this thing dissolves, you start to see the hands of the giant elephant god that's holding this ship and pulling it apart, but just without touching it. There's a lot of really cool imagery in this strip. I'm having some cake. This is very, and it's a bit of a cliched word here, but it is very trippy in mm. a very good way in mm. the sense that it's introducing these ideas of reality falling apart and having those correspond to the way in which the comic's actually drawn so it's using the medium to mm. destroy the image in front of you itself it, it's really interesting as someone who's not been keeping up with the comic and only sort of knowing what's going on through listening to your podcast turning to this and these few pages I had no idea what was happening from one <laughs> panel to the next. And then, as I say, Simpson turns up, and you're like, oh yeah, this weird actual cartoon's here as well. And so much is going on. It's gone a little bit Grant Morrison for 14-year-olds, hasn't it? I'm absolutely <laughs> here for mm -hmm. it. A bit. And then there's the lovely image of the whole spherical bit of the mountainside that's previously been bubbled away by this elephant god gets bubbled back, and you just see it kind of land there and you, oh, you imagine it yeah that what they are guy what they're doing is and you can see at the top of the page where it gets bubbled back they're standing on the decking of this house that was attached to a mountain but this elephant god has just bubbled it into his dimension 
out in space. I love the portrayal of this god here. He looks simultaneously friendly yet ineffable. Well, that's elephants for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Simpson makes this remark that he's sure got big. And I was like, has he? No, he was already big. He was already quite large when we saw him last issue, wasn't he? But I guess he's... I guess he's larger than that now, because he's large enough to now hold the ghost ship in both his hands. Yeah, and they're just little dots hovering over his hands. So, yeah, okay. In his hands, he's got the whole ship. I was so annoyed the other day when I realised that all that time at primary school, I could have been singing, he's got the whole world down his pants. And I (laughs) didn't think of it for another 30 years. Quick, go back. Yeah, he just uh, sends him home and says he's going to punish these uh, the three baddies most severely. And Knuckles is like, can we go? And he's like, yeah, a few. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I get the impression these creatures are supposed to be more Grant Morrison-y than they maybe do come across on the page. There's right. just not quite enough room or perhaps uh, a sort of conscious awareness of just how far you can push that for a child audience. I think so. I think there's that kind of two elements that there's the element of Grant Morrison's style of writing, which is maybe, shall we say, a little bit more adult, maybe a bit more dealing with mature themes. And then there's the kind of style of his writing that is to do with deconstructing the medium. And I feel like this is erring on the side of the latter in quite an interesting way. We've got the kind of traditional comic panels, but I just I do like the way that the ship is tearing itself apart and then we have that really huge close-in on the elephant god's face with a tiny tiny little knuckles right next to him but they're colored the same so the elephant god is colored red knuckles is colored red incorrectly (laughs) and so there's kind of a merging of them that i think is really interesting here maybe they're not going as far as they could with these characters but they've only got a limited amount of space i think we do children and young people a disservice when we don't give them that kind of interesting metatextual here's what you can do with a medium and you know i'd like to see more of it well i'm not even necessarily thinking of like uh, the metatextual angle of things i just mean the sort of unknowable fourth dimensional non-linear entities that i feel like these are supposed to be when really they actually speak in wholly comprehensible sentences and really (laughs) just shoot energy blasts and phase their hands through things they don't do anything truly inconceivable you know they just seem like very powerful aliens most of the readership is probably struggling with euclidean geometry i think (laughs) non-euclidean geometry might be a bit far for them and that's okay i got a b in euclidean geometry (laughs) (laughs) this is my whole problem with galactus he's just a bloke (laughs) he's just a big man yeah here me and guy make an absolute pig's ear of describing some panels I can't describe them any better though, so you should really just go and find them in the scan. They're very clever. But see if you can follow us, and especially the really clever thing that Cat notices at the end. There's a page on from the big elephant lad. I really enjoy the mirroring of the panels. It's like the first four panels of the next page, so alright Knuckles, I'm sorry. Alright Knuckles, my lad, hand over the idol of Tantaragro. Captain Blunder, scowling with his hook hand and his eye-patched eye, he's scowling at Knuckles. Then the next panel you've got Captain Plunder with his back to the camera with Knuckles looking out. Then the panel after that, the image is reversed. You see the front of Captain Plunder and a terrifying lady behind him. And then the next panel is a reverse of the first one with her face in the position of Knuckles' face. You see Captain Plunder's hand and his 
usable eye. And it's just a, those four panels are a really nice setup and sort of mirroring. Yes, and look, Nigel Dobbin has put background characters in those two endmost panels, which continue a sort of sweep a sort of bowl outline to the whole silhouette of the scene so that it goes upwards. Knuckles being much shorter than Captain Plunder, so he's there at the top on the left side of the page and on the right-hand side of the page, looking at a smaller character each time. And the background characters slope down towards that character, making this very... It's lovely layout. It's yeah. really, really lovely. In the first panel, we see the side of Captain Plunder. This is literally hard metal. <gasps> he's got his yeah. hook hand. He's got his eye. Oh, my um, God. And he's very intimidating. In the fourth panel, we see the other side with the natural organic features. He's got his hand down in front of him. He's got his, his eye. eye. And yeah. we see his softer side. And I think that's a really interesting and, and fun <laughs> way of brilliant. kind of conveying the change that's in power dynamic. Brilliant. I'm 100% convinced that Zora Bell is his mum. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. I don't know. She's the pirate queen. I'm sure she's had many suitors and has many children all across Mobius. But She's the mother of all pirates around. Yeah, her. she's the mother of all pirates. She's so much like King Gadol's mum from the Rocket Knight strip. I'm getting yeah. really powerful grandma energy from her, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we, yeah. we learn the name, her Lurch, her big zombie-looking guy mm-hmm. in a top hat who pushes her wicker wheelchair around is just named Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Fetch me my knuckle dusters! Now, Knuckles gets to leave with all these parchments and things mm-hmm. for the floating island, but uh, next issue, crashing back, the Chaotix crew. And I do remember, it's the Chaotix crew in their own strip next issue there is no knuckle strip next issue for the first time since before the sonic and knuckles adaptation ended if you count if you count knuckles and tails as a knuckle strip yeah and we do yeah so i wonder where this thread that kitching has run throughout all his knuckle strips up till right now i wonder where it'll go next now that we are taking a little break from it to go over and look in on the chaotix instead this has been a pretty great six-parter though hasn't it yeah, not, not just because Captain Plunder's in it, but it helps. But mostly because Captain Plunder. Yeah. <laughs> I've really enjoyed the strip, and I've really enjoyed listening to you folks do the voices. <laughs> Some of my favourite bits of Sonic the Comic the podcasts are when you do the voices. <laughs> not enough Felch, not enough Simpson. That's the mm. only thing I'll say against it. it- Sorry if there's any weird sounds at the minute. Bourbon the cat is currently standing on the table and intermittently rubbing his face against the microphone arm. I thought I heard something <laughs> there. I wonder what, what that was. <laughs> Sega World is coming. Report by Christopher Jones. Oh, Christopher Ooh. Jones. He's not just Chris Jones anymore. He's not Skin and Bones. Jones. No. Yeah. Wait, Chris Jones. Okay, I was listening back to an episode of STCTP in the shower today, and it was episode number 45, Horrible Bear Ham, with the returning Abby Denton. And in it, Chris jo- somebody called Chris Jones is credited as having asked for a tip for a game in the Q-Zone. And I was like, that's not... They haven't just named their friends. Like, they've got this tip, and they need to make it look like someone asked for it. So they're like, Chris, will you just ask me for this tip? Thanks, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) But I... There's going to be a few people in the United Kingdom called Chris Jones. Probably more than one, yeah. 
Sega World, this August sees the opening of Sega World at the Trocadero in Piccadilly Circus, a thing that Londoners apparently know what is. Yeah, Work is already apparently. well underway to create a next-generation theme park spread over an incredible seven floors and packed with cutting-edge games technology. Ooh. Now, all of the screenshots mm-hmm. and images in this yeah. two-page article in the center page is no sh- pin up this week, folks. Uh-huh. It's the center page new spread on Sega World. Am I... These are computer-generated images, right? They look like something from Final Fantasy VII. They also look like what the Trocadero looked like. This is true. To be fair. So, I never went to Sega World at the Trocadero when it was in its heyday. Um, I grew up in West Yorkshire. Uh Um, The most exciting thing that we did, and I say this like it's not exciting, but it actually is, was every spring we'd go to Temple Newsome and look at the little pigs that would run around the farm. (laughs) That's what we had, and that's what passed for highfalutin entertainment in West Yorkshire. (laughs) But it's not future active, though, is it? That's the thing. Do you know what I tell a light? We went to Flamingo Land as well. Oh, yeah, sure. Did you get to Flamingo Land when they still had the Rock of Fire Explosion, Billy Bob Animatronic Animal Band. No, we did not. That oh was my from god. Showbiz Pizza in America, wasn't it? Yeah, but I didn't know that. Right, what's happening now is we're going to the Bing for the No, Flamingo Land. Um, which means I'll be recording the Rock of Fire Explosion show. Uh, well, tell us, what, what is it, Duke? What is this thing on Duke's head? A Duke Guru. <laughs> well, when I was a little puppy dog, I wanted to grow up to be a space dog, so I made me a space suit. And while I'm waiting to go into space, I'm gonna sit here and play drums with y'all. So that's what this thing is on my head. By Duke Roo. <laughs> Just play the drum to do, be quiet. Um yes, yeah, so um the Sega World at the Trocadero was this kind of legendary paradise down (laughs) south everything that you could possibly imagine or want in an arcade and people would sometimes go there so say if they had relatives in london or if they were going on holiday and they'd come back with mysterious souvenirs and tales of sega world at the trocadero they came back with tales oh my god (laughs) it must have been good there well it probably did in like the form of a tiny keyring i couldn't tell you but yeah and, and if you look at these pictures it genuinely did look a little bit like that. So I moved uh-huh. to London, I want to say, in probably around about 2006. Um, and that was at the point where the Trocadero was it was kind of on its last legs. Yeah. It was a little bit, you know, it was dying a little bit. It was kind of sad. Imagine these abandoned malls in America. That was sort of what it was starting to look like. It was a bit run down. I'm very surprised to hear that it was still open in 2006. So that I, I couldn't tell you exactly what whether Sega World specifically was still there, mm. but there were still rides. Mm. I'm just checking it out now. It says Sega World London closed in 1999. Oh, yes, wow. but there were remnants of yeah. what had once mm. been Sega World in the Trocadero. So there were, you can see these kind of escalators um, mm. with the bright neon hoops over them. They yeah. were still there. Um, and the lifts with the kind of hoops around the edges that are reminiscent of, you know, like Casino Night Zone or something like that. So you'd go into the Trocadero and it would be like having the ghost of the 1990s all around you with all of the (laughs) memories of all the stories that you'd heard from people who'd actually been when it was in its heyday Uh and just sort of standing there going, well, that's never going to happen to me, I guess. I went there when I was maybe 14 and I think this was probably three, maybe four years after this article about it so it was a bit ropey then 
And I went to visit my sister who lived in London. Visiting my sister who lived in London was extraordinarily cool because I was 13 or 14 and like, what is this city? I think my sister lived in a squat at the time. Like, when you walk past this door in this building, walk quickly. The guy who lives there is weird. Like, cool, this is an adventure. I met a guy at school. I was about to say I had a friend who was my friend for all of about two weeks. But I knew this guy at school where when I went around his house, there was a big pile of bricks outside the house next door and he went watch out there's an old man who plays in that <laughs> and he would just come out and play in his bricks what a life and I, I remember going there with my sister on the ground floor there was a sort of touristy tat shop and I think I managed to buy myself a set of naughty playing cards what? with such as a boobies on some of the oh, cards that's well no- I wouldn't I genuinely would have been too timid to buy that at that age <laughs> and at this age and I, I remember going through seeing a sign for Sega World and it must have been coming to a close yeah. and I'd, I as a Sega enjoying kid I liked bits for my Mega Drive, so the Mega CD the 32X, like additional bits and I'd heard about the Mega Mouse <laughs> which would be usable for playing such as a Lemmings on your Mega Drive yeah. rather than just using a controller. And like a RAM expansion pack or something that what? would plug into the back. I'm sure this was a thing that existed. And I remember as a kid thinking, if anywhere's going to have this, <laughs> if anywhere is going to be staffed by people who know and care about this stuff as much as I do, yep. it'll be Sega World in London. Yeah. And I got like I went up several floors to get to the remnants of Sega World and asked a confused and bored teenager <laughs> if they had a Mega Mouse or the Sega Ram Pack. And they looked at me like I'd grown a second head and the second head was boring and stupid. <laughs> and they said, What? <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. I was like, oh. Sega world, yeah, a whole it's world so of Sega. much promise. It's like it could never be anything other than the dream of these CGI images, though, could it? It's it's nineties hauntology. That's what it is. I mean, yeah. So CGI images. These images are definitely from a low res grainy video walkthrough of the place. But yes, yeah, something about them makes it look like a proof of concept. You can see the way the camera is moving through this. That's my question. Like, it definitely looks like a grainy video. But yeah. is it a grainy video of a 3D model? Oh, yeah, I think it's so. It's both those things. Because technically it could be either one of those things. It could yeah. be a really, really bad quality video. When I went, it was a ghost of its former self. As I say, Sega World had closed, but there were still bits and pieces that obviously they neither had the budget nor the inclination to clear. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like something utterly alien that had been dropped into a shopping mall in the middle of London. Obviously, Piccadilly itself is at tourist central, full of tat. I literally can't remember the last time I was there. We live in southwest London. We never go to Piccadilly. Londoners don't go to Piccadilly. But this is just... There's something about it that's absolutely incredibly of its time. There was the threatening sort of emptiness of a laser quest or a zap zone. And I don't know if, Chris or Dave, you found this, but there was always something I felt, and this might be from growing up in Coventry, but threatening about a zap zone or a laser quest. Like an air of menace about it. No, I know. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Yes, but that was part of the draw. Part of the darkness and the harsh lights and everything and the smoke machine going. Yeah. There might be hard kids there. There might be hard Mm, kids there. There's every chance. You don't know. You don't know if there's going to be a birthday party of 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 hard kids. And also, at your laser quests and your whatevers, 
Um, that what was the one in Leicester called? Um, I think it was just called Megazone in Leicester, which is precisely the sort of place I would gravitate towards. <laughs> Megazone. It's the sort of place where if you see a grown man with facial hair, you're like, oh. But of course, now looking back, we know he was the biggest Dorcas in all of Leicester. Well, I, I was mildly threatened when I went to the Trocadero. There was a sort of arcadey bit, and there was one of those penny waterfall machines, which I still love to this day. For those of you who may not have seen this, it's a machine where you put 10p, 2p, blah, blah, blah in, and there's a big pile of these coins with a pneumatic arm that pushes them forwards. And the idea is more coins get put in, which adds to the pile. There's a teetering pile, and they might fall into the gutter, and you might win your coins. And there's, it's cleverly rigged, so it looks more... They're glued uh, on, aren't they? They're, yeah, yeah. It, it looks considerably more precarious than it is. Yeah. I love them, though. That, the Young image God, of yeah. them. It just, it just makes you feel like you're in a, a slightly khaki sort of place in the UK somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still dream about walking past those and having one accidentally blurp money at me. I'm yeah. like, oh, I've, I've made seven pounds. <laughs> and this is the extent of how big my brain dreams. Like, oh, I've won seven quid. But I was I was at the Trocadero and this guy said to me, like, hey, I'm going to pick this up slightly and oh, no. bump it. Keep an eye out and I'll split some of this coins with you. And I was like, this is the most criminal endeavour anyone's ever done. I am immediately terrified. So this guy to me sounds like an undercover cop who's trying to entrap you. I, oh, I I was fully a cop. I went to find a security guard. I'd be like, oh, there's, a, there's a threatening man who's going to nudge a machine. Oh. I, it was it was too much. It was too much for me. I was. You love the idea of breaking the rules, but the moment anyone suggests it. <laughs> so the reason Catherine is saying this is a couple of years ago, we went to a garden centre and near the toilets, a garden centre, a place of ill repute, near the toilets there was a sign that said, do not move your baskets past this line. And so I had the basket. I was like, oh, uh, Catherine, look. And I moved it past the line and an alarm sounded. <laughs> I've never seen anyone move so quickly. I've got footage of this because I thought, you know, oh, it'll be funny. I'll record this and then yeah. I'll put the police over it yeah. as I move it past. And what you see is me moving it. The alarm goes beep, beep, beep. And then, then the camera pans down to my feet as I just scamper off. And it's like proper wobbly camera. You footage. should still put the police over that. That's a very good TikTok you've made there. Oh, so, yeah, the Chocadero had this kind of threatening energy, even when it used to go in sort of 2002, 2003. It was kind of sad because I think it would have been quite a fun yeah. place for about five minutes I didn't when it was in its that, heyday. I didn't realise that there were rides here. There were rides. I yeah, never knew because yeah. I, I just saw like a bit yeah. that said Sega World. Because was... as described here, it's all indoors. Mm. Yeah. And so you sort of think, oh, so it. So it's not a theme park, then, if it's in a building? Well, you say that, but I feel it compares unfavourably to Metroland, which used to be an indoor theme park in Newcastle. I know of it. I've never been, but I've seen pictures. Oh, it was a treat day. Oh, it was a treat. They had an actual little roller coaster and these little metal coins that you used as tokens for the rides. Oh, I remember places like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, with the little tokens. 50 Peter, take off your T-shirt and fight a police horse. I found the video, by the way. Something wonderful is happening. Something magic. Something that will change the way you think about high-tech entertainment. Sega World is coming to the Trocadero Piccadilly Circus in London. Welcome to the next generation 
of indoor entertainment. Sega, the brand leader in interactive entertainment for the entire family, is proud to announce the opening of Sega World at the Trocadero in London's Piccadilly Circus. Get the feeling this might have been the source of everything written in this article, don't mm, you? Yeah. Some of the exact quotes. The Sega World Trocadero 96 promo video that they've just sent out to people to make copy about, yeah. Oh, and if you scroll down to the comments, David Robertson, wow, we, my company and team, made those animations of the interior, <laughs> says David Robertson. If you look closely, you will see other pieces of our work on the video walls, namely a video for the new at the time, Emirates Boeing 777. <laughs> I've got the Wikipedia page up here. Though positive comments were made towards the park's large rocket escalator, apparently yeah. you came in and this escalator took you up to the top and the idea was you started mm, at the top. Yeah, and I remember that. Out. Yes. The variety of coin-operated arcade machines on offer and the advanced VR1 attraction, reception for most other aspects of it, was poor. Common problems cited included overly long queue lines, despite Sega stating they would not occur, overpriced entry fees, and a lack of enthusiasm for the supposed futuractive, in quote marks, attractions mm. on offer. Several reviewers noted that one ride, Beast in the Darkness, was little more than a haunted house ghost train ride with no interactivity. That's fine, I'm not bothered about that. Well, yeah, but when you go to Sega World and you're being, you, this is one of yeah. the things where you're strapping a visor on your head and you're supposed to be looking around. You and everything. Yeah, this sounds great. What? The VR ghost train? Get me on it! No interactivity. It's Nor did any train. utilize Sega's portfolio of popular intellectual properties, in spite of the heavy usage uh, of Sonic the Hedgehog as a mascot. There I fall away from it. This is my yeah. thing. So I actually had the opportunity to go to Sega World and I turned it down <gasps> because I was in London and we had nothing to do for the day and we walked past Sega World. And now part of the reason why I turned it down was because I knew I wouldn't be able to convince my mum at the last minute with no planning to spend a day at something called Sega World. But <clears throat> mostly I've got to say it's because it's a big arcade and I don't care. I've, I've never bothered about arcade. Like, I've, I didn't see the point in a big arcade. Like, I'd have enjoyed it if I was there. Yeah. But I think that Wikipedia page that you just read us, Chris, makes me feel a little mm. bit better about not having gone when I was younger. Mm. I, I think those kids who were coming back and saying how amazing it was were yeah, not sure I believe them. It I think they were just like... you know, trying to convince themselves as much as, <laughs> as us. Based on what I'm reading here, it sounds like there was a time when it was best to go. Yeah. Due to the poor reviews, mismanaged crowd control, and general state of disappointment over what was initially promised by Sega, the opening of Sega World London was largely regarded as a PR disaster, mm -hmm. denting the brand's once strong reputation in the UK and setting an unfortunate precedent for the UK. In response to the criticisms raised in reviews, Sega initially put the majority of their arcade machines on free play in the weeks after the opening. Right, there you go. The the idea that they ever weren't on free play yeah. is ridiculous. To yeah. pay entry. However, this model was not profitable and much of the park's floor space was devoted to the cabinets. So yeah. by the end of the year, admission fees were cut down from £12 to £10 to £2. <gasps> the machines were taken Whoa. off free play and establishing ticket payments for the park's seven attractions as a result. These did little to turn around fortunes, and by the time the first full year of operations had been completed, its 1.75 million visitor target had not been achieved, and a £1 million loss had been recorded. Mm. Oh, well. A strange place. 
strangely situated and quite otherworldly and then to have it kind of degenerate into something a little bit abandoned and tatty so quickly very quickly i can't think of anything more british (laughs) these aspirational ideas of this incredibly technologically advanced theme park indoors that's going to showcase the best of virtual reality and just turns out to be a kind of sad just a dingy little hole where the highlight is literally an escalator I'll say at one point here they did have the Sonic arcade game, so there's a reason to have gone to. That was the one thing. That was it, yeah. I was aware that they had that, and it, it freaked my nut. <laughs> that was the only place I was ever going to see it in my life, which has still played out, to be true. I've never seen it. It's closure and subsequent rebranding to become the Funland Amusement Arcade. <laughs> Could you imagine anything more generic? Inadvertently led to the Trocadero becoming a central hub for London's then nascent rhythm game community until its permanent closure in 2011. Sega World will occupy over 100,000 square feet of the Trocadero and, when finished, will be the largest indoor theme park in the known world. Tales. Tales. Grounded, written by Lou Stringer, art by Rob Corona. Bob Corona. Colors by Gina Hart and letters by Tom Frame. In the Aquatic Ruin Zone, Tails runs into a spider moth, one of Commander Brutus's new generation of badniks, which webs his tails together and leaves him unable to fly. Still, Tails finds a way to get airborne when an attempt to swap the badnik with a palm tree accidentally catapults the fox into the air instead. He clobbers the spider moth and falls in the water where the gnashing teeth of a masher badnik cut the webs and set him free. See, I'm much more into Gina Hart's colours on Rob Corona's art. Yes, I agree. This, I think, does look better. Um, I didn't really have a complaint about the, the opening one, but this looks really nice. And I really like the design of the spider moth badnik. I think it looks like a, a badnik, only a bit more so. Yes, Brutus's badniks previously seen in the Brute Force Sonic's mm. world story with Johnny. They were all sort of Carl Flint blob monsters. Oh, they were the ones that were just monsters, mm. like squares with mouths on and yeah. stuff. Mm. And this one sits just perfectly somewhere between the idea of a standard badnik and then the slightly more monstrous creatures that we were seeing in that strip. I do like the art and the colours, I agree with you, but I just cannot get over this strip being Tails narrates to himself everything that he's doing throughout the strip. And it's just... That's true, actually. It's like, I need to go over here. Oh no, this, the thing that you can see, has happened to me. I need to fix this. I'm going to use this, this thing that I'm currently using, to fix this situation that I'm in. Like I am. I'm in this situation. Oh, stop it. That's the trouble with a solo strip, isn't it? That's it, yeah. It's annoying because it it sort of ruined a comic that's got such a lovely close-up of a spider moth badnik face. (laughs) That little circular image on the second page. It's a good one, isn't it? Where it's just him with his jaw sticking out and the four eyes, and it's, it's a good, goofy creature. It's really good. Such a lovely close-up of a spider moth badnik face. <laughs> that little, that little, that little, little. I really like the art. I love uh, Tails running away after he's been whoofed by the spider moth. <laughs> the final panel on page two, where Tails has got this little set to his mouth in a real sort of <laughs> kind of look. It's it's charming, and the colours are beautiful. 
So I, I don't want to sound completely down on it, but also I hate it with my bones. <laughs> it's the Brutus connection that actually makes the strip, really, isn't uh -huh. it? I mean, it's a perfectly fine little tale story in the vein of what we've been seeing in the, the Tantrum strip recently, mm. where it's Tails who stumbles into an unfortunate situation, but through his own pluck and ingenuity actually saves the day mm. himself. You know, it's, that's, it's, that's how Lou Stringer is handling the character of Tails. It's the way he should always have been handled. But yes. uh, it's taken until this long, surprisingly, to do that. I like the conceit of what's our character's ability? How do we rob him of that ability? Mm. And yeah. see how he gets through a situation. It's like, exactly. how do you make yeah. Sonic slow? And when you do, what do you do? How do you stop Tails from flying? When he can't fly, what does he do? Yeah. Tie up his tails. Yes, so I suppose in that regard, a spider badnik is actually the perfect foil for Tails, because it can do that to him, yeah. But then to have Stringer use it to keep his Brutus thing moving as well by having the badnik. Yeah. Be I mean, we just had Tails go up against some spider badniks in the last story Stringer wrote, the two grabbers that webbed him and Tantrum up oh, yes. and had the argument. So the little fresh touch of it being one of Brutus's next-gen super badniks. Not just that, right? But obviously, obviously the fact that it's like, check out Sonic's World this issue to see where Amy, Johnny and Sonic are and what Brutus is up to. You love the interstrip continuity. You love a bit <laughs> of the interstrip continuity. Yeah. yeah. I really like this strip, I have to say. When you put it in the wider context, we've seen Sonic maybe stepping out of his comfort zone a little bit in the previous strip where he recognises that he's a little bit of a third wheel in what's going on. We're starting to see him develop as a character. I think we've started to see Tails develop as a character, as you say. I much prefer this to the strip that I think we had last time I was a guest on this strip, where it was very much a he just fell into accidentally getting out of a situation. It treated him really disrespectfully, and I know that sounds a bit weird, but actually, Not when you Chris. think about the dynamic between <laughs> Tails and Sonic, where Tails is that kind of little brother figure... It's really nice to see him being given an opportunity to shine on his own. And it feels a little bit like I would slightly disagree with Guy on the point about these little thought bubbles in that to me this feels like it's maybe aimed at a slightly younger demographic or at least it's acknowledging that that slightly younger demographic is, is still on board or is maybe coming on board with this comic and saying, you know what, little brothers and sisters, they can be great too. You can also have your own little adventures. You can get yourself out of these little scrapes that you get into. And I think that's really charming. That's nice. I think maybe they go a little bit too far when he says, um, he's getting away for another attack, but if I'm going to stay alive, I've got to use my initiative. Trouble is, I can barely spell the word, let alone act on it. I like Well, that. he's just spelt it correctly. What? Oh, he ah, didn't spell uh, Lou Stringer spelled it. Do you think it. he's doing this? Well, this is the uh, problem. Uh, they can't misspell it. Sorry, have I just fundamentally misunderstood the comics medium? You've, I'm surprised <laughs> it's taken this long for your horse <laughs> to kick in. <laughs> you've, been, you've been very well behaved I've been very so good, far. haven't I? I've been very good. <laughs> I think that this... I, the more I look at this, the better drawn I think it is. Look at the whoof panel just before the spider. Oh, whoof, crump. And look at how spherical the shape of the pillar being disintegrated by the fireball is just the way that the bits go around it at the top is lovely oh yeah i mean like i'm not trying to be down on corona or anything i've always said right no. from that first tale strip he did he's always been a very good like kinetic artist very yeah. good at drawing explosions and dramatic yeah. movements the sonic characters themselves seem to just 
ever so slightly sit outside of what he is the best at doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you yeah. couldn't show that this this very next panel after the one you're talking about, Dave, that head-on shot of Tails running. You yeah. couldn't show that to anybody unfamiliar with his work and not expect it to be mocked. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, but then, for a good... And, and again, this is a bit of a cheat because you're not looking at his face. But if you then turn the page, look how good that panel is of Tails going up as the tree snaps back and launches him up into the air. Uh, it's just a great mm. panel. The 3D of the tree and of Tails, it's great. But yeah, you're not looking at his face there. But I think I think he did a good job on the previous panel to that one. The Tails there. So he's getting it. Yeah, I know that one down where he hits the moth. He looks fine, you know. Yeah. Looks great there. Yeah. He's getting there with those characters. Yeah, it's taking a, an adjustment and he's got several issues to continue his adjustments. There are the last page and all the panels of him under the water. He looks fine there Love as it. well, you know. Yeah, yeah. The problem that... the Right. The main problem that he has with Tails is the same one that Nigel Dobbin did, which is this insistence on giving him a really heavy brow ridge for some reason. <laughs> I think they're working off of some Elson artwork reference here as well. Because I, I, Elson does that too. Does he? I never noticed. Yeah. It just seems, it's just kind of a characteristic. I think they're working off the Adventures Tales model sheet, obviously, first and foremost. I don't know if mm-hmm. that, I don't know if that ever stops. You know, you just have to look at this very deep, brownish orange he's colored to know that. Elson would never really color him like that. You know, he would always get the orange right. But um, yeah. I feel it's just to fill that empty space that exists on the adventure's character model of where his five head goes, that they do wind up leaning into eyebrows and forehead wrinkles and things to create expressions. And I think the effect of that sometimes is that in some panels, he looks more middle-aged than young Fox. And the strip ends with him flying off to the Metropolis Zone to help Sonic, Amy and Johnny. But then we're cautioned that he'll have problems of his own to deal with first, because next issue, Fleabite returns. The cyborg mm. cat cowboy bounty hunter from the last <laughs> tail strip. Didn't expect him to come back so soon. No, but I assume that's uh, essentially, if Stringer's going to keep this interstrip continuity going, he's going to have to ambush him along the way, a little delaying tactic to keep Tails out of the story yeah. that's going on in Sonic's world. I really like how threatening the masher is. Tails genuinely looks really sweet and afraid, and then you've just got this horrible, glinting set of sharp jaws taking up an entire quadrant of the panel. That's really quite threatening. It's very dynamic. I like it. And look how happy he is when he pops out the water in the second-to-last yeah. panel as well, <laughs> with a big smile on his face. Oh, he's just having a good time. I'm in luck. His teeth have accidentally cut through the wash. Shut up. I can see tails, you know, yeah. <laughs> there is a lot of telling and showing at the same time, yeah. But that little quality aside, I'm still just really enjoying the way this strip is continuing Lou Stringer's handling of the character. You know, I'm very uh-huh. interested to see what else he gets up to because it's yeah. taken so long for Tails to get some respect. And as you say, like this is the like what if Tails lost the ability to fly? How? In 79 issues, has a Tails-focused story not chosen to make that its central idea? <laughs> what if Tails' Tails got mm. tangled up? I think up to this point, they've been going for the obvious narratives of Sonic is cool, he's cool and he's got attitude and he does stuff. Tails is not cool and he gets into trouble. And that's it. That's all that they've been going for. But actually, I'm kind of seeing like at the same time that they're making Sonic a bit more complicated as a character, they're also broadening out and reaching out to make Tails a little bit more complicated as well and saying maybe there's more than one side to him. Maybe they could be multifaceted. Maybe it's okay to give 
material and mediums to young people, which is not just here's one dimensional character whose sole attribute is that he's cool. Yeah. Here's a one dimensional character whose sole attribute is that oh he's a bit of an idiot and he gets into trouble. Actually, you can have both of those things. Tails doesn't have to be cool because Sonic is already cool. Tails can be cool in his own way, doing something different. I really like that. But the thing was, though, like, that Nigel Kitching and Mark Isles' Tails strips were about how Tails wasn't cool and got in trouble. And so are Lou Stringers. Lou Stringers just doing it mm. in a way that gives the character respect. <laughs> Yes, yes. He's, he's doing it in such a way that it's not laughing at Tails mm. for being uncool. It's saying Tails is uncool, yeah. but that's actually okay. You don't have to be cool and have attitude all the time. He works hard to succeed instead of just bumbling yeah. his way through and accidentally stumbling into victory. It's a really good role modelling. <laughs> and he's really cute and fluffy. I owned Earthworm Jim too, as I've said before. Yep, loved it. But it doesn't mean I have anything to say. I mean, they give you a little sort of guide to doing each of the levels here, and uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's about it. <laughs> There's two things I, I like about it. One is that if you read the guide to each level, you genuinely sound like you're losing your mind. I know that's yeah. the point of Earthworm Jim. <laughs> He's a wacky guy. But uh, get the cows to their milking stations. Watch out for alien ships who want to steal your Frisians. Remember to dunk all the special cow bombs in a vat of milk before the counter ticks out. Use the mice to start the machinery. That's great. <laughs> the salt shaker is invincible, but you can shoot it to make it back off. If that isn't a life <laughs> lesson for everyone, I yep. don't know what is. Um, but the, the other thing that I thought was funny about this Q-Zone is the last one, see Jim run, run Jim run, no tips for the last level. Just be good at the game. Yes! This is, this is like a proto-git-good. I don't know whether that's a really inspired thing where it's like, no, no, it's the last level. You better be good at the game by now. You're on your own. Or whether, as with the uh, Q-Zone on Sonic and Knuckles, they just couldn't finish it. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, cheats and more for Earthworm Jim 2 next issue. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I personally can't remember what I was doing in my life around this time. If only there was a way to know. <laughs> I have a bad case of diary. I have a bad case of diary. I have a bad case of diary. <laughs> yeah, that's I this is the part of the podcast. What? On this podcast, we like to take you with us to the 90s. And I can do that very directly because I've got a diary that I wrote when I was a little boy, in an increasingly large little boy. In the 90s. You're still a little boy, really, aren't you, Dave? I mean, I'm an increasingly large little boy now. And I'm still increasing. It's a surprise. I thought I'd have stopped, but no. Still increasing. I've settled on a height, and I'm still increasing. This is... Uh, I don't know if any of this is going to go in, but I want you to know some of this. Because I just find... I found When I looked at this, I found it entertaining because spooky things take place. So, Ooh. You join us on Saturday... The 25th of May, 1996, and it's the start of a four-day weekend. Yeah! So, 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 Saturday, 25, 596. Yes! I just got a letter today from the Smurfs Collectors Club. <laughs> None more boomer. Smurfs are back! Just yet another addition to make this <laughs> remarkable book even more psychedelic! And I've written that in big block letters. I've got nothing. I'm sitting there trying to get excited about the Smurfs. Hang on. The remarkable book? Your diary? The diary. Yeah, I'm going to be able to... Can I to just ask quickly, Dave? Did you actually Smurf. write Smurfs are back in your mm. diary? Well, yes, but I'm reporting on this thing that would have said Smurfs are back on the... the 
Okay, so look, I went to a toy shop and they had some very good little Smurf toys. So I filled in the form that came with them and I was now in the Smurfs Collectors Club. And the original comics are very, very good. I got all the hardbacks on my shelf and I still think they're good. But as of this age year old, uh, I'm 14 now, I think, just, I'm unable to access that. So I'm like, why is there really amazing Smurf art out there, like on the packaging of things? But all of the actual stuff I seem to get hold of is generally bad. It seems quite ironic that the Smurfs Collectors Club exists when that was like Gargamel's one goal <laughs> was to like be the king of that club. We were oh yeah, we were on Gargamel's side. We were trying to eradicate the world of Smurfs. They're a vermin and you have to just collect them. And then halfway through this word psychedelic written in big block letters, it changes to pencil. And then moving on in pencil, damn! I just dropped my pen over the bed and I can't be bothered to go and get it back. <laughs> anyway, there's a new Smurfs TV series. A new album. Smurfs go pop. It was awful. A new TV series? Yes, I don't know what that was referring know. to either. I do not think that took no. place. It was like the Hollyoaks thing, Smurfs After Dark. And so they used to broadcast it at like nine in the evening. And that was when there was like the drinking and the booze in yeah. the Cavorton. Yeah. All the Smurfin and All the Smurfin and the Smurfin. Smurfin. Yep. <laughs> Two new singles soon. Well, remember them. I got a little puppy. Oh, remember yeah. That? Remember it well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. I got a little puppy, little dog of my own. And books, and vids, and ords. Ords? Ord, A-U-D-S, audios. Oh, ords. Young Dave, down with the briefs. Because I just said vids, so I had to say ords. This is so charming to me. At 14, I was listening to Green Day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the Smurfs. Listen, I didn't like the Smurfs album. It was awful. It's just that I had to buy it because I was briefly brand loyal. If I don't listen to the Smurfs, who will? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much. Dave, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but I think it might have come at a point where there was a run of singles involving beloved children's medium, which were actually, shall we say, cover operations for young adults who enjoyed going out in fields and taking things they shouldn't and yes, dancing so. to transversions of those cartoons. Yes, so, yes. I mean, I think um, if, if anything, that I think this was almost a revival because those had kind of happened... I'm sorry to tell you this. No, I know. Those were like 1991 <laughs> and 2 sort of time when you had rhubarb and custard uh, Sesame Street Sesame's Treat mm, yeah And I bought those because... And I've got them on these shelves. I've got the vinyls still. Jesus. <laughs> because it was a children's theme tune released on record. So I'm like, A, I would have bought that for loyalty anyway. B, this bangs. I'm going to get it. And, you know, I was having little raves in my little living room. I was having a lovely time. But no, I didn't realise quite how ironic they were until some time later, I don't think. Anyway, went to Muppet Treasure Island with my friend Andy. Ooh. He's got a full version of Grack. Which, and, and I, I remember the graphic adventure creator, which means it's a meager program. It means we can make this, this is what it says we can make a Monkey Island Steel Sky style game, and we're making one based on his cat. I might be getting my own free homepage. And I went round Simon's and I got Mario Land 1 off him for £5. And I came home and I played it and I made a remake of the World 3 tune on, on the, the Amiga. Amiga. 
I'm on the rampage. <laughs> Next day then. Smate day, the 26th of May 96. Because it's a four day weekend, remember? So it goes Saturday, smart day, cool day. Sunday. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> Designed the cat game. Typical example. Area, cat's garden. Objects, mouse, mouse trap, door. Actions, get mouse trap. Use on mouse. Go through the door to the next area. Only more complicated. Also, I made a song for the end of the game. Fabulous insight into the game making process. The game design process, process yeah. Yeah, there's a lot that some... Um, Mark uh, Brown could, yeah, could learn could from learn, this. Yeah. Cool day, the 27th of May, 96. <laughs> 10.48 p.m. This is Monday now at this point. Right. <laughs> I am squeezing out the last of my, like, childhood enthusiasm. Do you know what I mean? I'm really making sure I'm using it. it all. And I was right to do that. It's only finite. So, you know, I'm getting it all used in these last days while I'm 14. I, don't know, I feel like you'd have some left in you now if you hadn't overexerted yourself so much at the time. That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> oh, no, he strained his whimsy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me whimsy. <laughs> Monday, a uh, cool day, the 27th, 10.48 p.m. Brillily cool Doctor Who film was on. Is that the uh, is that your Paul McGann? It would have to be. Was that yeah, the twenty seventh yeah. of May ninety six? Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. So that was brilliantly cool. Apparently, went to Andy's. My friend played Simon the Sorcerer. Can't believe we have a program that can do that, but we do. We never, never mm. once made a Simon. Never did it. Never once. Sunday the twenty eighth. What a great way to end the holiday. We <laughs> so Tuesday really. Yeah. What a great way to end the holiday. We went to... Oh, God. <laughs> what a great... <laughs> what a great way to end the holiday. We went to a hunchback exhibition. <laughs> okay, but though... But it is, though, but it is. It does make sense. It's Disney's, Disney's Hunchback. Hunchback. And they had a thing where you go, and they've, they've, like, taken a couple of train cars and they have put them down behind a train station. I suppose they would have already been there. And they filled them with Hunchback of Notre Dame stuff. So they made the model that he's made of Paris. And you can look at it and stuff. So it was, it was good. Good little time. And then, me and Andy, my brother, between us, bought Simon the Sorcerer. One of the best games on, on the Amiga. On the next page, I'll start my solution. I won't be putting any directions, so you'll have to have a good wonder. <laughs> no, I won't start it just yet. <laughs> Can I? <laughs> have you written a full solution to Simon no. the Sorcerer in your diary? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, not, not the first stroke of the pen. <laughs> but then things take a turn for the supernatural. Ooh. I can send telepathic messages. Oh, so not... 
Okay, right. So I thought maybe you saw a ghost or something. Not that you made some shit up. Okay. Oh, 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 <laughs> wait till you see how spooky this gets. I can send telepathic messages. Today, in science, I thought, I'm going to bang the table now. Now. And dare I say it, now. I glanced up, and the teacher was looking at me. <laughs> Telepathy! <laughs> so, I can do telepathic messages now. The fragile and frazzled egotism of yeah. the teenager, yeah. I think, perfectly on display here. Yeah. This is your sliding doors moment where you could have become the next Yuri Geller. That's right, Just yeah. lean fully into it and become convinced that you have these powers. Thursday the 30th of May 96. Sports day heats. I naffed it and didn't get into tomorrow's finals. Whoopee! <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's more like it. That's the STCTP attitude. <laughs> so you naffed it that year, but were you ever in sports days? or? I was, yeah. Well, I mean, it, so in primary school, obviously, you had to do it. Nobody could have imagined that anybody would object to being in sports day at primary school because it's just... It's a, a dust day. Yeah, and I, and I liked it. I liked the pageantry of it. It was yeah. a nice warm day. Your parents were there or half your parents were there or whatever. The top half or bottom half you got to pick. You were doing fun things. Egg and spoon, that's fun. Yeah. Chuck bean in a little bean bag. Yeah, that's yeah. that's nice. That's good Great. fun. But as we got later into primary school, I remember being in the upper juniors now. And, uh, you know, I was year five, year six. I was about to leave. And now there was a certain amount of you're expected to try. <sighs> in secondary school, as I say, I went to... A private school, very, very lucky, very much a scholarship kid, which meant everything was kind of hand-me-downs. Like, when I turned up to school and we had our first tennis lessons in year seven, I'd basically been handed down my mum's 1970s tennis racket. Oh, wow. So I was the only girl in the entire year who had this absolutely obliterated wooden catgut racket. Everyone else had that fancy new, like, you know, Adidas wide one and of course I was the only one left standing there like well this is what I've got Mm. went home explained it what's wrong with that why can't you have that one it did me fine thank you very much we were very much a kind of fish paste on brown bread sandwiches kind of family you know not ham on white bread Mm -hmm. you know exactly what I mean so eventually she relented after about a month when my sports teacher actually had to phone her and say (laughs) I know that money's tight but you can't keep sending your daughter to do tennis with this racket sorry I need to because I, I don't know anything about sports. What is wrong with not having a brand new racket? Like? Um, it was tiny and hopeless. So was I. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Finally managed to get a new one. Not that it made any difference whatsoever because I have zero hand-eye coordination insofar as a ball and a racket is concerned. It's just like watching a confused windmill. <laughs> Eventually it got to the point where the PE teachers were far more concerned about basically the posh girls who had private tennis tutors and could therefore represent the school in competitions which meant the rest of us who either were not wealthy enough to have such things or frankly had absolutely no interest whatsoever and I counted myself in both of those camps were ignored and abandoned by the teachers so sports day for us towards the sort of latter end of my school career uh, we would take ourselves off into the school grounds and play poker oh Uh yes so that was school sports day for us while the while the posh girls did tennis and hockey and all the rest of it. It was great. Every single instance of sports day involved me sorting myself out, getting one of those large bottles of of water. Not like a two-litre bottle of water, but the square ones. Mm. Which, if you're a kid, they're quite heavy. It'll last you the day. Finding whichever corner is furthest away enough from teacher's 
sports-interested people and sitting with the other nerds and losers and just spending the day sitting down, maybe with like a, an Aliens comic that I checked out of the local library and reading that and just hoping that no one would at any point come over and ask me to engage in activities. The only real sports day memory I have is the event was there were beanbags laid out on a track and you ran forward, you grabbed the first one, you ran back, you returned it to your home base, for back, for back, you know, so you'd longer each time. Oh, yes, I remember this, yeah, yeah. Uh, very, oh. very straightforward stuff. Hard to screw that up, you would think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will stress that I didn't screw it up. Wasn't my fault that no, no. the fool racing alongside of me couldn't apparently, like, see in a straight line or something <laughs> and was grabbing a beanbag from wherever their hand lay can only see round bends and wound up just grabbing a beanbag from whatever lane so when <laughs> I got to my beanbag it was not there because some fool who was admittedly faster than me and had made it up to the beanbags you know <laughs> ahead of me had already taken mine and had thrown into a terrible tizzy and obviously I lost <laughs> That's it's ridiculous. Not it's not fair. That's simply, you have to call off the entire game. At I that know, stage. do over. I don't know what I'd do. I'd, I'd well, you grab his beanbag, obviously. The rules have yeah. changed. I don't know. Help, help. Yeah, you grab his beanbags, go over to that lane, grab every single one of those every beanbags. Every beanbag. Very ostentatiously pick <laughs> them up, put them in your own basket. Or just chuck them at the head of the boy who stole your beanbag. That's another option. Start literally beaning your opponent. Yeah. Dave, we were in the middle of a diary zone. That's right. Friday the 31st of May 96. Went into the woods with Alex, Dids, Lee, Trot and Emma. Found a great stick. And an, <laughs> <laughs> and an official hiding place. TM. Nice. Yeah. My little brother found a human ear in the woods near our... What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so cheapest place to live in the Midlands. The murder house. The, the, yeah. the murder house. Yeah. Um, just a bit of ancient woodland which had been sort of left... Uh, and yeah, my brother was maybe eight years old playing with a friend. There was a little stream uh, with a with a person's ear God. in it. God. Called the police, obviously. Obviously. Yes. They took the ear away. There's no innocent explanation for that. No. No. Um, apparently, uh, one of the police officers... Only had one ear. ...who was there was looking at it and said to the other, it could be, could be a monkey's ear. <laughs> and the guy's response was, where's the f***ing monkey from? <laughs> A monkey. Well, there's trees. No, it's just... <laughs> Never found anything interesting in the woods, me. Not even woodland pornography. Never once. That's oh. an urban legend as far as I've... We know. didn't find woodland pornography, but we did find woodland... Um... Erotica. Much better part of the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're in the posh area. No, um, but we did find pornography on... Just on. Just somehow stuck to the mesh fence of the school tennis court. Um, which was, you know, just a paved area with a mesh fence around it, basically. And uh, yeah, that that there was just stuck on that, just a just a. And, and when I say stuck, I mean by the wind. I never found an ounce of pornography. I had to work for my pornography as a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
You used to get a paper round. <laughs> and have furtive stolen glances at the back corner of the shop, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like any respectable teenager my age. I found a manky old jazz mag near where my mother's office was. Fight and it had been, like, there were snails living on it. <laughs> Naked ladies in it. And, like, there was a little rhyming couplet, because there oh. was, like, a Roman-themed page. Oh, well, let's hear it. Um, it was something on the lines of um, when Caesar was out fighting to support the Roman ends, his wife was busy f***ing his countrymen and friends. Classy. And it was just this lady all naked being naked. We didn't have, like, you know, in terms of what girls were into, we didn't obviously, I think, look at, you know, well, I say we didn't obviously, I'm talking about heterosexual girls here, um, of which I'm not one, but still. So you had, like, your classic sources, but we just had, like, Sugar Magazine and Just 17 and all that, and there was no one nude. Yeah, I had to make do with those magazines like that. The no, we, we used to have to get our pin-ups of Jet off the back of cereal boxes. Exactly! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Any more in the diary, Diff? Yes, we're, we're nearly there, we're nearly there. Um, Saturday, the 1st of June, 1996, officially the summer. I don't know if we're on holiday yet, I don't think we are. But it's the summer. Once you hit six, once you're writing six, you know it's the summer. And uh, it says here, the wonderful, glorious, amazing, stupendous, brilliant, fantastic, brill, fish, beans, wibble, chair, potato, boing, smate tiddly smate 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 tiddly smate summer holiday is near four weeks away, to be exact. Fuck my life. I don't know how I put up with the show sometimes. <laughs> I would have stuck your head in a toilet when I was 14, Mulmer, I swear to God. (laughs) I must have been difficult to be around. I didn't have have the slightest trouble. Nobody bullied me at school. Oh, you can tell. Mike came and lent me a Simpsons video and swapped Earthworm Jim on the Mega Drive for Dizzy and Cosmic Spacehead. And I started on the Amiga a new revision of The Magic Tomato. The legendary title from which you take your name today. Yes, that's right. Tuesday the 4th, Magic Tomato crashed in saving. All gone. Got new boots. Amazingly hot dinner. (laughs) 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 Alright, let's wrap up this diary zone. It's time we closed it. Friday, nearly get on with this. The 7th of June, 1996. We went to the woods and made up a remix of a Grease song. (laughs) Went to the woods. Made up a remix of a Grease song. Oh, that's a mid-90s sentence. Sonic's World Revolution Part 1 Written by Lou Stringer Art by Nigel Kitching Colours by John M. Burns And letters by Tom Frame As Sonic, Johnny and Amy are dealing with a badnik attack in the Metropolis Zone Commander Brutus launches his uprising Unleashing his army of new badniks Who first wipe out Robotnik's robots And then turn on the Freedom Fighters A shot from Brutus's blaster knocks Sonic out And our heroes once again find themselves prisoners of the Rebellious Commander! Ah, why is this only a Sonic's world? I'm sorry, I don't mean to diminish Sonic's world, but this should be a lead Sonic strip drawn by Richard Elson. Oh, I don't mind the art. I'm loving the art in this. Oh no, I mean, listen. 
you know me. Yeah. I'm all about the way Nigel Kitching draws the Sonics characters. Yeah. But simply by the nature of the story, this feels like it demands pride of place and the absolute A-tier artwork. Before we get too sort of deep into this, I just want to point out a funny little guy um, (laughs) on this page. The Point Dexter, which when I read this, I desperately wanted to show Cat. Look at that guy's face right there. Oh, the little mime. The little spiky guy with the bit that looks like a moustache or a frowny face. There's also that splendid little hedgehog guy. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's also in the second panel um, a little <laughs> dog dude in the top left and a little rabbit, and they're it's all kind little... of at funny angles. A little bit like Winnie the Pooh. It's very cute. Yeah, yeah a little bit. My, so, my, my main thrill is the point dexter. Like, mm. it looks like his face is sticking is out slightly. The point dexter. Yeah, I checked. Mm-hmm. I thought you were I'm just calling it. it a spod. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no, that's, what <laughs> no that's what they call them. The big eyes, the frowny mouth, the fact that it's sticking out slightly. I love how. Sonic's running into the rescue on that third panel. He's so dynamic. He's absolutely going for it. I love him. His little face. He's the action hero we all need. Speaking of that panel, there was that comment we were talking about earlier about the general shape and proportions of the characters back in the first strip. And I feel it's just a little colouring error by John M. Burns Uh here, where Amy is supposed to be standing with her legs akimbo and her right leg is therefore slightly off the panel under the line of the horizon. Oh, yes! But what has happened is that he has coloured the gap mm. that is supposed to be the background uh, in the... Co- so, basically, Amy looking thick in this <laughs> panel is what I'm getting here. <laughs> I didn't spot that. A real Pixar moment. <laughs> yep, that's... Uh, yeah, that's it, exactly. Also, yeah. Johnny Lightfoot's chest hair under, like, popping out from underneath his, uh, his T-shirt. Oh, yeah. See, He's a manly I, man, that Johnny Lightfoot. I hadn't even noticed that colouring on Amy. I genuinely, just for a fraction of a second, and perhaps this is because we have now been blessed with a wider variety of body types in media, yeah. just thought, yeah, maybe she's just a little Thick bit of a, a, a larger lady in the strip. But yeah, see what you mean? Some of the badniks being destroyed are beautiful to look at. Turn the page oh, yeah. to page two. Johnny whacking the face of a robot mm-hmm. inside mm-hmm. out and his eyes and bits are spraying everywhere. An extraordinary, like, I know, I, I'm assuming same artist, but extraordinary decap attack energy on the bottom panel. Yeah, yeah. Like, all wobbly yeah. chins and yes. socketed eyes. It's it's gorgeous. Yeah. Again, like we were saying in the tail strip, these are Brutus's weird monster badniks mm. from the earlier... So- and, and Kitching just has a real eye for that sort of weirdo creature. There's something really unsettlingly biomechanical about them in a way that you don't always get with the badniks, which can be quite often almost cute little robots, but these look genuinely threatening. Like that kind of, yeah. there's like a sort of centipede type yeah, badnik in the top left of the bottom it's panel on the second juice. page. Yeah, quite yeah. Beetlejuice. It's got four sticking out eyes. It looks like its eyes are kind of shooting out radars or, or, or laser beams. Like a, um, oh, what's the word of that? D&D oh, monster. The beholder. Like, like, like a beholder almost, yeah. I will say there's something lovely about that horrible wiggly guy in the, the panel above it with Johnny Lightfoot braining a badnik mm. with his cotton bud situation, the sweep, the arc of that, is almost mirrored in the, the <laughs> yeah. wiggliness of the yeah. wiggly boy. It's nicely yeah. laid um, On the nightmarishness of the, the big new badniks, it's quite nice that the badniks that are being exploded are the badniks that we're familiar with. Mm. So your, your buzz bombers and mm. your guys, and then these perverts rock up <laughs> and destroy them. This is something new, something dangerous, something that's like covered in spikes. The guy in the bottom panel, the guy with the blue thing and the, the skull face, he's, yeah. he's, he's got three layers of teeth and it looks like something from Meta Barons. It's horrible. 
again, I think there's something in here about a slight maturing of the approach to drawing and writing these strips. You know, mm -hmm. the, the old badniks are being destroyed. It's time for the new, slightly more threatening ones, which introduce potential for more complicated and complex storytelling. Don't worry. <laughs> it's over by the end of this four-parter. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the way Kitching draws them as uh, unambiguously robotic, though, versus the blob monsters that... Uh, yes. Carl Flint drew them as. They've sorted that out, haven't they? They've come to a decision about what Brutus's badniks look like, and I really like it. Really, the only criticism I have about the art in this one is the colouring on Sonic, which overly emphasises the ball of his head as opposed to the spikes of his head, in a way that I think... Oh, just in that panel. In that yeah, panel, yeah. and also in the first page, it does it as well. And I don't think what John Burns is doing there quite marries to the shapes that Nigel's drawing for Sonic's head. Yeah, yeah. And it's not wrong. Like, that is the model sheet, but... Uh, we know it was that the model sheet was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Some good Lou Stringer sonic banter back at the badniks. Puts me in mind of, do you remember when he was fighting the unbeatable foe uh. 50 issues ago? And it was stuff like, yeah, you're unbeatable, but are you happy? <laughs> and in this one, we got like, we are the new wave of badniks. We are loyal to Commander Brutus. Yeah, don't come crying to me when he forgets your birthday. <laughs> I love the little silhouette in the panel above that, the second panel on the third page, a real sort of mm. Sin City via Sonic the Hedgehog yeah. vibe. Just seeing the, the whites of their eyes, the gloves, and the splash of the T-shirts, it really does feel quite sort of Sin City, and, and it sets off nicely against these the weird green gribbly guy dominating I, them. I love the designs of these badniks. The, the sort of like that Egyptian snake kind of looking yeah. one. And, uh, next to tank, a torso on tank next, tracks. Well, it's a torso <laughs> on tank tracks, but there's something... I know it's supposed to be like a cannon in the middle of its chest, mm. but I'm getting slight Hulk Hogan vibes from it. <laughs> there's a, a sort of... <laughs> You're seeing the brass border of the cannon as a hole moustache, as a moustache. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, And I know it's not supposed to be. But... I just thought you were losing your mind for a second. <laughs> yeah, it's that diary zone. It's just sent me off the deep end. Yeah, I think they're quite imaginative. Mm. And he does draw Brutus very well, doesn't Ooh. he? There's something very Again, 2000 thighs. AD about that. Mm. This is the day of revolution. The day I conquer Mobius, And I refuse to be stopped by two hedgehogs and a skinny rabbit. I'm not skinny. I'm just athletic. <laughs> oh, I love the way he's drawn Brutus here. He looks so threatening with that cape billowing around him. Yeah. And this kind of golden armour. And yeah, unreasonably thick thighs. Yeah. Um, he's, oh, he he's doesn't quite, skip leg day. He's got a power stance going on. Um, yeah, there is something a little bit 2000 AD about this, a little bit more grown-up. I like it. Mm. And Robotnik sees it all on a view screen and tells Grimer to ready the troops and prepare for war. <laughs> oh, yes, please. <laughs> My one complaint is that drawing of Robotnik could do with a little bit of sweat just beading off him. <laughs> with the, the intensity, it looks like every sinew in his body is standing out. Just a little bit of something dripping down his head to make him yeah. extra gross. And I like the old trope here, and I never know when it's deliberate and when it's not, of the camera feed that Robotnik is watching has all the same camera angles that this comic we're reading has. <laughs> if I thought life would be better if you ruled Mobius, I'd help you defeat Robotnik, but I've got a feeling it'd be ten times worse. Only ten times worse? I intend to increase pollution levels to destroy all non-robot life forms. The old ecological themes creeping back in yeah. there ever so slightly. I love the dynamism of like Sonic in the front, like with his little legs whirring, he's got mm. his fist raised in the air to bash down on Brutus. 
But then in the background, <laughs> you've, got, guy, you've this got, got this guy, this, this, this bog-eyed, <laughs> slack-jawed little buffoon, <laughs> this fool in the background, which is the little <laughs> snake-like Egyptian bagnick, just watching on going, ooh, what's going on here? It's super decap attack. Like that, the, the extension yeah. of... It's really decap attack. Yeah. And the little guy in the bottom as well, with his underbite, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, the story ends with Brutus oh, blasting Sonic. He's upgraded his blaster to match Sonic's speed so he can zap him before he turns into supersonic, knowing, as we know from the last story, that he can only hurt him when he's supersonic. Next issue, Brutus rules. Oh, I'm so looking forward to the whole rest of this strip because yeah. I don't remember like what happens in no. it, except I knew it was coming. You know, no. It should have been the main Sonic strip. It's the only thing I can say against it because Running Wild starts in the main Sonic strip next issue. And that is going to pull so much focus away from what is the end of a fantastic trilogy of strips about a great character stuffed almost into Sonic's world in the back. In well, the- that's one way of looking at it, but another is that we're going to have an amazing content-filled comic with two main strips in it. It's also true, but just because I've been looking forward to it so much, and I think that the, the quality of it and the story and everything that's been built to and the amount of work that's gone into building up to this point that makes the sheer experience of reading it as exciting as it is as a payoff... It deserved pride of place in the comic. It feels a bit like you've got the really exciting potential of Robotnik and Brutus facing off. And that, oh, that's got to happen, right? That feels like god-tier content. Yeah! That should be front and centre. Is he going to get like the squeeze tag machine out or the death egg robot mm. or something? How's he going to fight him? Like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. What's he going to do? Oh, God. Robotnik teaming up with Supersonic They've to beat fight. Brutus. Oh, I can't imagine Supersonic will be in it because he's going to be over in the main That's strip. the thing. It's going to be a little bit awkward having these two things run at once. One thing where yeah. we've established clearly and in these words that you need Supersonic to defeat Brutus and then another strip happening at the same time that's got supersonic in it and has nothing to do with that story yeah that might be weird one assumes they're not doing supersonic over here and maybe they will create like a story reason why they can't or don't do supersonic in this yeah and to have the tail strip we'll see exactly how the flea bite thing goes with the tail strip next Mm -hmm. issue but to have the tail strip literally be like occurring concurrently with the sonic's world strip it's an odd organizational move i could sort of see this go in one of two ways one is where you get this absolutely incredible showdown between Robotnik and Brutus and I would pay well over the odds to see that I want them to go fisticuffs I want Robotnik to get his moustache knocked askew I want Brutus's cape ripped and flapping in the wind or it'll be oh well Brutus is such a threat to both Sonic and Robotnik that they're gonna have to do another uh, reluctant team up to do something about it and I'm uh, I'm not super into that. Yeah, I'm not super into that. But I could forgive them if I do get to see at least two issues of just Robotnik and Brutus (laughs) lamping each other. Robotnik and Brutus are going (laughs) at it. Twist your armadillo! (laughs) Dear Megadroid, I have pin-ups of all the Chaotix crew, except for Mighty the Armadillo. Why not do me a favour and print one of him? Otherwise, I'll come round and bust your circuits. That's from Aidan Carlisle from Newbold Chesterfield, Sonic Knuckles, camera winner. 
<laughs> Megadroid says, Lucky for you, Aiden, you've caught me on a day when my circuits have just been oiled, as I'm feeling rather generous and am prepared to overlook the fact that you forgot to say, please, there'll be a mighty pin-up in STC-80. Finally, to complete the set. Because they obviously just forgot. I like, think so, yeah. <laughs> for them to be like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, uh, that's in the next issue then. Like, they forgot. I think so. I think they genuinely, they printed that piece of art of Mighty that they would have used yeah. as a pin-up, and probably will next issue. Yeah, presuming. As that contest question, right. right around the same time as they started doing the pinups, and I think I think you're right. I think they just forgot they hadn't done a pinup of Mighty, and this kid's letter probably did genuinely remind them. Oh yeah, yeah. oh, but do that. <laughs> Yellow Wish is the title of the second letter from Michael Toomey and Sittingburn. I would like to see more of the supersonic character in your stories, where Sonic changes his color. And Megatroid says you won't have to wait. Check out next issue's STC for the start of a new three-parter featuring Supersonic called The, the Fury. Fury. Yeah. Which is not what it would wind up being called, famously. It would wind up being called Running Wild. Well, Michael Toomey of Sitting, Born in Kent, I would like a million pounds. <laughs> just, let's just all write in to Megadroid with things that we would like. What would you like, Guy? <laughs> a, big, a nice big hat. A big hat? A nice yep. big hat to I would wear, like please, a big Megadroid. Yeah. Who's who? Dear Megadroid, what are the names of the three freedom fighters? The Bumblebee, <laughs> the Porcupine with the Horn, and an Alligator. Charles Large, Wilmslow Cheshire, Sonic and Knuckles camera winner. Sonic is the Porcupine with the Horn. <laughs> Pay attention now, Charles. The three freedom fighters are Amy, Johnny and Porker, although Porker has since moved to Knuckles' floating island. The descriptions you give are for the Chaotix crew, who include Charmy B, SBO the Chameleon, and Vector the Crocodile. The fourth member is Mighty the Armadillo. For those who are watching in colour. (laughs) (laughs) And Knack the Weasel for viewers in Scotland. Fascinating, isn't it, how he leaves out the one guy who's left out of the Chaotix today, 20 years in the future. (laughs) Who's not part of the modern Chaotix. And isn't it weird? It's not, well, I suppose it's not that it's weird because it's the way the stories have been written for so long. But for some reason, like, Tails isn't considered a freedom fighter. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he hasn't been part of it for any time there's ever been a story where the freedom fighters go on a mission. It is always Amy, Johnny, and Sonic. That is weird, yeah. Is that because Tails is special? You know, he's Sonic's special buddy. Yeah, it's like how Sonic also isn't a freedom fighter. But it's still weird that he gets left out of all those stories, though. Yeah, I think he's done a bit of a disservice there. Tails will always be a freedom fighter in my heart. You've done my Tails dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have some celebratory pictures yes. on the page as well. Jack Wilson from Avonbridge in Scotland has sent in... Well, well it's Amy and Sonic. It looks like they're at a bar or a, a table at a party. Yeah, what is this I stuff? No, Is it a casino um, or something? Is it... Maybe. There's sort of green things on the table. I wonder if there's perspective been messed up here where yes. um, whoever sent this in has done that. Um, completely understandable when you're learning to draw error of drawing everything on top of the table as if you can see it yes. from head on. Except yeah. except he's done stuff on the top of the table as well. So yeah. you have to wonder He's got bottles of wine and glasses of beer, yeah. Also Amy Rose looks like she's wearing a fried chicken <laughs> as a fascinator. <laughs> <laughs> what it looks like is it looks like the front of the desk is covered in like electronic ribbons. There's pipes. Yeah, and yeah. there's like yeah. bits. Is the thing by his knee supposed to be a cigar? No, I think it's meant yeah. to just be a big pipe. 
that kind of comes out and goes down and goes back into the desk. And the desk is covered in what looks like bottles of ketchup. I think they're supposed to be wine because he's holding up a cup of wine. Yeah, well, it's got, they've all got corks in them. So, yeah. And Amy's got a pint. Is it a newspaper in his other hand? Is it a letter? He looks like he's wearing gold lame trousers, which I respect. I really like some gold lame trousers. I know you would. <laughs> oh, can I change my wish instead of a big hat? Can I get some gold lame trousers? Dear Megadroid, can I have some gold lame trousers, please? <laughs> yeah, he's wearing a brown jacket and a bow tie and a sparkly top hat yeah. and everything. So it's it's a very sort of party almost. There's something New Year'sy celebratory about it. So I really love the way that. Um, this person has drawn that top hat. They've drawn mm-hmm. Sonic's ears just sticking through the top of it. And the way that they've done yeah, the sequins the and the sparkling is actually quite The shine on it is great. Which yeah. makes me wonder if this is partly taken from an existing image. This is always what we wonder, and I'm wondering yeah. it now. Yeah. Because all these details have got to be... Those feel referenced from yeah. something, yeah. And why? Would, who would ever think of Amy Rose having a pint? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be copying something there, but we don't know what. So tell us, Jack Wilson, from Avonbridge, Scotland. Sonic and Amy toast more refreshing adventures, a sort of birthday celebration image. Then Holly Chatwin from Boroughbridge in North Yorkshire has sent in one of uh, Tails. <sighs> it's really Tails as a Christmas present. Yeah. Tails in a present. I think he's wearing it. All, all I can see when I see this picture, is that image of Geralt in the bathtub. <laughs> so for those of you that can't see this, it's it's Tails inside a present. A giant present. Perspective's a bit skew-whiff, but that's mm. fine. Yeah. And there are little holes on either side, which presumably is Tails' arms. Yes, they're at a total disconnect from his head. But it very much looked like he's lying back with his legs sticking out of these holes just having a way precisely as akimbo's <laughs> legs can possibly be they're coming out in yeah, a horizontal yeah. line if they are his legs and he's got a sort of contemplative yet satisfied look yes and the reason it looks like it could be his feet coming out even though it's obviously meant to be his hands is because they're not where hands would be and they're more where feet would be but also he looks like he's really leaning back he's really mm. really poking out of the top of this parcel and also he doesn't have his white chest tufty bit, which makes it look like a sort of strippogram, doesn't it? <laughs> like you're supposed to unwrap yeah. this present that has tails in. Especially with that facial expression. <laughs> but Dr. Robotnik, I thought you would enjoy this. <laughs> tails presents himself uh, uh, the entire present. He sees their mm, birthday and you get a present uh, like a present. Like a bird's present. <laughs> I really like this picture. The more I look at it, the funnier it is. <laughs> That's everything that's on speed lines. Is there anything in our mailbag for this birthday special, Dave? It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. We've got a letter here that has a visual component, and as we've got more guests on than we've ever had before, it's probably the right time to use it. This is from Paul Williams of Stafford, Master System owner, Sonic Water game winner, who says, Hello, humans. I am an avid listener of the podcast and a lifelong fan of STC. I'm also a comic artist who's been lucky enough to have been published in the pages of 2000 AD in recent years. So, given how influential STC was in my youth, one thing has always bugged me. is that I never submitted any fan art to Speedlines! And it was whilst listening to your latest episode and hearing you go through your own mailbag that I had an idea. If I can't travel back to 1996, why not bring my 12-year-old self forward to submit some fan art to Sonic the Comic the Podcast? Oh! How lovely. And so this... My heart! So this is what I've done here. I've attempted to 
draw the picture that I think my younger self would have with as little learned skill as possible. So he's trying to... I think the idea is he's trying to recreate the way he used to draw as a kid. We will put this on the Twitter, don't worry. Oh, yeah. I'll admit it probably is a little bit better than my younger self could have actually managed, bless him, but it is what I think would have been in his head at least. From Paul Williams. And there it is. It's a lovely layout. (gasps) Oh, yes! (laughs) So imagine um, a bowed ground, as if you're looking at the bottom of a loop, a Sonic loop. And in that is Sonic and Metal Sonic zoom in towards each other. They're about to smack noses. They've got their fists back. And over the top of all of this is STC Robotnik leering down at them with his fists up, doing a big growl. And the whole thing either is or has been digitally manipulated to appear to be coloured entirely by scribbling with pencils. (laughs) That's so good. That's gorgeous. That's wonderful. Lovely. That's so nice. (laughs) Tremendous. Love it. I don't think that a child version, even of a published comics artist, would have been so good at art to think of fading out the colour of Robotnik to white as it Mm. goes to the details. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. That's so lovely. Yeah, that's extremely charming. I love the way the legs are whirring around. And it's drawn in just such a way that it sort of looks as if the Robotnik could have been referenced from a piece of Elsinore, Mm. you know, like a kid of the time. Yeah, that... There's nothing from post-STC that he's erroneously used as details. Yeah. <laughs> the angle on the eyes of Sonic and Metal Sonic, the way their fists are... Yeah. Oh, that's gorgeous. <laughs> Spectacular. Yeah. Make a nice poster. Thanks, Paul. That rules. A podcast is not the best place to celebrate yes, fan art, but I don't care. Send us more, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another one. This is called From the Start, and it's just from David. We know no more about him. Howdy, Humes, who think you're in charge. As someone who avidly collected STC as a kid, I was very excited when I heard about your podcast a few months ago. Of course, I didn't want to miss anything, so I had to go and listen from episode one. Good man. And at the time of writing, you've just released the episode about the Sonic 2 movie, but I'm only up to the episode covering issue 24, so I've got some catching up to do. Don't know if you'll decide to read this out, but if you do, I'll be sure to email again when I hear it and keep you informed of how well I've caught up. Keep up the amazing show, and I can't wait to finally be able to listen to the same episodes as everyone else. Thanks, David. Keep up the hard work. (laughs) Dear STCTP, Mina here. (gasps) Yay! I have to say, I was tickled pink. Pink? Pink. To get a shout-out in the last episode. I wasn't at all excited, nor did I run downstairs and force my husband to listen to two minutes of the podcast completely out of context just because you mentioned my name. He is still bemused some (laughs) days later. (laughs) Yeah, this is Mina, who uh, is the other one who draws things uh, while listening to STCTP every couple of weeks and posts on Twitter. Yes, her and Angel Bless. Angel Bless sent us in a letter a little while ago and we we mentioned them both, yes. Because it's it's great. It's just somehow we've wound up to be lucky enough to have two people drawing pictures inspired by the podcast. Every fortnight. I, I mean, come on, that's so good. Anyway, I've been meaning to write to you for a while, but being a bit of a shy, no, really, older boomer, doubted anyone would be interested in my why I love STCTP, stroke STC, stroke Sonic story. Incorrect. We are interested and we want to hear this. Always. But now I'm apparently contractually obliged, wink, into continuing my fortnightly draw-alongs. You are getting some Mina Harker exposition. Cue the Wibbly flashback music. Bling, bling. <laughs> It all started back in 93, an undoubtedly excellent year. It's the best year. I was 10. 
Jurassic Park was in the cinemas. Meatloaf was giving off his best Beauty and the Beast vibes. And you could still get a chomp for 10p. I was in Safeways doing the Saturday shop with my dad. We'd only just walked in when he went over to the magazine rack and picked out a comic. Look, it's got that hedgehog you like on the front, he said. And then uttered the words all children love to hear. Would you like me to buy it for you? Is Sonic blue? Yes, of course I wanted it. I wanted it so much I couldn't <laughs> think straight. I also had no access to my own monetary funds, not wishing to indulge in petty theft in front of my father, unlike some people we've had on the podcast. Unlike certain guests. Squealed a bit, hugged it to my chest, and read it all before we had even got to the checkout. Oh, there's uh, so many stories like that. You, you hear, like, they buy it in the supermarket, and then they read it as mum and dad are going yeah. around doing the shopping. I was livid there was no tales. But with promises of him next issue, I was hooked, and so begins the start of an era. So Mina's been here from the start, then. I was already a huge Sonic fan, and I'd been given a Mega Drive. After undoubtedly annoying my parents into submission in the Christmas of 92, I then proceeded to draw the Sonic on the box cover repeatedly until I could replicate it with my eyes closed. Yep, Sonic was what made me start wanting to draw. I paused the game and I was allowed to play it on the big telly. Didn't have my own TV, and the only other one we had was black and white. And I used to try and draw Sonic in all the different zones. So when STC came out and there was even more artwork for me to copy, wow, it was the best thing ever. I went on to collect all the STC comics, bar a few I couldn't get my hands on. I loved seeing Tails get his own stories. I adored the Sparkster strips. And I idolised Richard Elson and Nigel Dobbin like the STC art gods they were. My love for comics and art grew exponentially, but unfortunately, like Reaper Fox, was discouraged in art class from drawing anything comic related as it was not proper art. Mm. It's a real shame, as I wanted to be either a Disney animator or a pilot. And being a girl back in the 90s, I was most definitely not encouraged to follow either as a legitimate career. In fact, I was bullied quite badly at school for being into sci-fi computer games drawing and just learning in general. See, I saw those as totally opposite things. I was into sci-fi computer games and drawing. Therefore, I was not interested in learning in general. But that didn't stop me. The Sonic universe became my safe space. I had cuddly Sonic tails on my bed. I had a copy of Stay Sonic on the sideboard and all the Choose Your Own Adventure books for the long car journeys. I had my Badnik pinups. Hey, well, at least somebody enjoyed them. All right, maybe not the Badnik pinups. <laughs> but I had that brilliant poster bought from Athena of Sonic grabbing tails with that explosion going off behind him, framed in glorious A2 on the wall, and somehow rode out the worst of my teenage years, all thanks to a little blue hedgehog and a very special comic. And strangely, that's also where you guys come in. Very long story short, but I work full-time. But I'm also a carer, and that can be pretty tough, especially over COVID. Oh, I ended yeah. up really struggling and had a brief spell in the depression zone. I'm trying not to laugh at that, but it's such a good turn of phrase. <laughs> Which is very much like that bit in Sonic 3, where you have to work out what to do with the big rotating barrel in order to get anywhere. Suddenly you just lose all joy in the world, and what had been easy up until that point becomes seemingly impossible. And after one particularly rough day, I put my headphones on, just wanting to listen to something, anything, and what do I discover but Sonic the Comic The Podcast? I remember a smile crept onto my lips. STC! That was my safe space! It's my happy place! So I put it on, and it's two crazy guys talking about the comic I loved. And they were funny too. Result! Wink. Seriously, there were other people out there that liked STC as much as I did? I listened to one, I listened to another, and I saw I had quite a few more to catch up on as well. This was great! I loved it, I honestly loved it, and for two hours I thought about nothing but Sonic. And I started doodling, and doodling turned to sketching, turned to drawing, turned to inking, and I was joyously creating stuff just for the <laughs> ring noise and giggles. <laughs> <laughs> I was indulging in something I liked doing, and it took my mind off a lot of what was going on, and for the first time in ages, I slept! Which in itself doesn't sound momentous, but I can assure you it was. Now, I've been posting art to my Twitter account for a while, just random OCs, and getting one or two likes. To at someone was honestly a terrifying concept for me. I'm incredibly self-conscious, and I see every single mistake seconds after I post it. But, I think it was about November last year, I decided to bite the bullet and go for it. I drew a picture of Amy, and I had it retweeted, 
Hey, I got 42 likes. I felt like I'd gone viral. No. I laugh thinking about it now, but it felt good. And since then, I've met some absolutely lovely people and had some wonderful conversations. And I'm happy to say I'm now doing much better. And it's kind of thanks to you guys. You're like a nostalgia trip and a therapy session all rolled into one. Although I'm not ready to emotionally invest in End of Mobius just yet. I, I do hope that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I banged on with my random offerings long enough. It's been hard writing all this down. But I wanted you guys to know just how much the podcast has meant to me. How great you both are, plus assorted guests and behind-the-scenes peeps, and how much enjoyment I've had from what you do. I look forward to it every fortnight, especially getting my old comics out and reading along to stories I haven't looked at in over 20 years. You've really helped me get back to a good place, and I will be forever grateful. Keep on doing what you're doing. It's been a great ride so far, and I'm already looking forward to the rest of the journey. Wishing you all the very best. Mega Drive owner, Mina Harker, a.k.a. Zoe. P.S. Oh! Someone mentioned they used to play Sonic 2 with their feet. <laughs> I did that too. <laughs> By the time... So- the- yeah, but Guy didn't do it just because for fun. Like- I was made to do this. <laughs> By the time Sonic 3 came out and Tails could fly... Oh my god. This is a hack and a half. I controlled Sonic with my hands... Tails with my feet and was able to do some amazing mid-air catches and find some really good power-ups. Nice. We may have found a more precocious child than even young me. (laughs) Anyway, just wanted to mention that as it has been a premium grade life skill that I have never used but wanted to share as clearly I wasn't as crazy as I had led myself to believe. Yours in Sonic, (laughs) Mina. Oh, I'm sorry, Mina, but I think you are. (laughs) I don't even know quite how to respond to such glowing letters as that, to be honest, because that's, no. you know, that's serious and heavy stuff. Mm. Uh, certainly, but I've talked before when we've received letters like that in the past. You never know what, what some silly piece of content someone's made on the internet can have an incredible amount of meaning for you. You know, I've been there myself. I've been inspired and found meaning in moments when I wasn't doing so well. Uh, in silly things that I've found on the internet that have, I've wound up doing all of the stuff that I do now as a result of falling into... into I, I don't even know what I'm saying here. It's just that I'm really glad that, that this show can be something like that for other people in the way that I've found other things have been able to be that for me. And I hope that you keep enjoying the show and that we keep being entertaining. It's a real honour to hear that from somebody about stuff that you've put out into the world. Yeah. Um, like it, it's happened occasionally with stuff Kat and I have done and it's just always it's kind of breathtaking because you're hearing that something that's potentially just a bit of not silliness or frippery because boy howdy you guys work hard on this but you just think oh I'm just doing something people might enjoy it and then to to hear that it's had a profound effect on somebody in a way that it's added to the net good of the world that's really special and it's such a privilege to yeah absolutely to hear that Well, I think that brings us to the end of this birthday bash of an episode, and judging by the time on this recording file, it has been a bit of a bash, hasn't it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Next issue, Sonic Seethes Yellow, a new supersonic story. New two-part story, Chaotix Crew Fundamental 4. Complete story, Tails Flea Bitten Again. Sonic's World Battles Badniks and Brutus. Plus some Mighty the Armadillo pin-up, all right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and an Earthworm Jim 2Q. They always got to gotta end these next issue pages with the least interesting stuff going, don't they? I've only just realised why I've been hesitating every time I've said Brutus. 
and it's because I've wanted to say Bruticus <laughs> because I'm hearing Chris McFeely's voice. Uh, Bruticus was a big robot lad made out of other smaller robot lads. Oh, mm. oh. That's STC number 80 on sale Wednesday. Wednesday, would you believe? The 12th of June, 1996, £1.20. You know what I, I remember about this? I wasn't buying the comic at this point, mm. but I did always remember the 12th of June. That's two and a half weeks away. Oh. <laughs> they didn't even have the common decency to make it available three days early. Yeah. No, you had to wait four extra days mm. to get it. Outrageous. And with the promise of Supersonic ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was more time to go out and find and read the Knuckles Knockout Special. Also published the same day as this issue. Yeah. So watch out for our bonus episode about that whenever Dave's poor little fingers can yes. get through all the editing work. <laughs> so when you're looking for next issue or that Knuckles Special or any back episodes or anything like that, you'll find in most places good podcasts are available, but you can also download them from our website at stctp.wigglehead.com. But listen, listen to me now. Wherever you get them from, <laughs> Do leave us a review. Yeah. Because we never actually talk about... We, we always mean to and we always forget and say, mm. do leave a review. Help us climb up the rankings a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I thought for this birthday issue, it might actually be nice. To just just before we go, I know we've been here for hours. You know, I know you're probably watching your the clock at this point. Mm -hmm. But I, there, there, we've just had so many nice reviews over uh, in the years we've been doing this now at this point. That just want, I just wanted to drop in on, on some of the places that collate them and read off some of them, you know. You know, like some of them have really made me laugh. Like here's one from Toy Bonnie One Two It, who left this one back in August of last year, uh, where they say, "I may be a smelly artist and young, so I don't know much of the cool blue one, but this is the best way to know what was going on in England in the '90s." So thank you guys so much, and keep rolling on. <laughs> or this one from Jamwa R, left in July of last year. No piece of media, save perhaps White Men Can't Jump and Betty Boo's Doing the Do can so completely transport me back to the days before I had to care about stuff. The sun <laughs> was permanently shining, sweets and burgers were years away from doing any damage to my body in any significant way, and Sonic was in his heaven. Dave and Chris and Abby's antics make me laugh more than 99% of podcasts. I barely even read the comic, but it doesn't matter. It's relatable. The digressions and wholesome ribbing make it feel like you're hanging out with mates and the editing is perfectly in keeping with the tone of conversation. That said, I'm only halfway through, so there's time for it all to fall apart yet. We're reaching the point where I would have been 15. Get me through that trauma, lads. I have faith. <laughs> Thanks for that, Jamwa. Oh, Jam underscore War. Yeah, yes. we know him. Oh, yeah. I, he designed the posters for my two shows. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did. I knew that, yeah. And uh, just scrolling back through to pull another one here. Uh, this one here is from Bite Ye, who left this back in December of 2020 and calls the podcast a really fun trip back in time, going issue by issue through Sonic the Comic, the UK's official Sega comic from the 1990s, raves, <laughs> great nostalgic fun with charming hosts, Dave and Chris are genuinely funny and entertaining, graves, graphics could be better. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, leave us a review. Yeah. Come on. What are you doing? Come on. Come on. Uh. Or if you don't want to communicate with us vicariously, you can do so directly by atting the podcast at Sonic Podcast on Twitter, or we're on there individually as well. I'm at Chris McFeely. I'm at Demon Tomato Dave. And what about our guests? Who are you? What do you have to plug? And where can everybody find you? 
Hello, uh, we are Guy and Cat Kelly. Cat and I produce a podcast which is diametrically opposed to this. Yeah. Sonic the Comic the Podcast <laughs> is a wonderful, sincere, earnest, thoughtful, edited Edited. The emphasis there is on edited. <laughs> and research podcast. Yeah. Uh, whereas it's got knowledge, understanding. The hosts actually don't talk over each other no. or just... Or wander just... off to the toilet in the middle of the podcast. Yeah, we do, we do all, all of those things. It's just it doesn't look like it because of the editing. Yeah, they edit it. That's the critical yeah. thing. Like when one of the hosts makes a joke, the other one will react to it. Rather than in our <laughs> podcast where you just look at me. Just, like I'm doing now. just yeah. for long enough yeah. to really make it hurt. Yeah. Uh, we run a podcast called I Don't Like Mondays. It is a Garfield review podcast starting from the very first Garfield strip. The episodes tend to be about an hour long now, covering only one strip at a time. Neither of us like Garfield. <laughs> We don't edit it, partly because we're both very lazy, um, but predominantly because we don't have any respect for the source material. We review a Garfield podcast in each episode. I'd say we review review a Garfield Garfield comic strip. We make a Garfield podcast. In each episode of the... If you just drop this in, unedited, this is what the podcast's like, like. and (laughs) that's going to put people off. Yeah, so yeah. Which it should. We spend about maybe 10 minutes talking about Garfield and the rest of it is just whatever happens to be on our minds that day, which could be anything. Um, but we have a really lovely time while we're doing it. Um, some people seem to enjoy it. Some people seem to enjoy it, more for them. Um, so yeah, you can listen to that on any of your usual podcast applications. Yeah, and it's IDLM Podcast on Twitter. Additionally, Catherine sells lovely art that she's drawn with her hands on chickenscratch.co.uk and you can find her on Twitter at Wangleberry. Yeah, well, sometimes Guy does Twitch streaming, usually kind of weekday lunch times, and you can find him at twitch.tv forward slash brainmage, where he solves cryptic crosswords with a lovely crew of gremlins who mm. come along and basically jeer and throw rotten fruit at him in a virtual environment. Should, you can also find Guy on Twitter at brainmage. Should we do a quicker and snappier take of this for you? <laughs> no, you're right. oh, no, it's fine. Find I Don't Like Mondays at any podcast hole of your choice. Here's a clip. Uh, slapping. There you go. And how have you found this birthday issue? Oh, it's been so much fun. I've had such a lovely time and I've really enjoyed all of the strips that we've read. I had such a good time reminiscing about the urban horror that was the Trocadero Centre. Um, and <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad that we're seeing little tales just kind of growing up and, and getting his own strips and being a little bit more competent in them. So I'm really excited to see what happens next and keep reading along. I'm just sitting at the end of the podcast. I've been asked by Chris how I felt about it. I should tell him. Um, no, I've had a, that was me because of, of the because of the tail. Yeah, I've had a lovely time. Thank you so much for having me on. Both, I I genuinely cannot sing the praises of this podcast enough, and it's just really lovely to be invited back. It's nice to be here. It's, it's nice to get out there. Keeps us off the That's streets. what I was going to say. Our podcast is basically an onion headline, which is husband and wife start a podcast as an excuse to talk to each other. <laughs> as, as Dave pointed out years ago, we should have just called it Guy and Cat. We should yeah. have called it Guy yeah. and Cat. Oh, wow. That, that is... Oh, well. Yeah, you really should have, actually. Wow. <laughs> Guy and Cat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's 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 weird, actually. That's... It might have been the best pun-named podcast yeah. in the world if you yeah. had. That is incredible, actually. <laughs> <laughs> is it too late for a rebrand midstream? <laughs> no, go and watch the 
Guy and Cat streams at lunchtime. They're really, really fun. It's been great having you on again. It's been really lovely. Thank you. We'll have to have you on again sometime in the future. There's many years and many issues of this thing to come yet, and we're going to run out of steam and need picking up on this eventually. So... (laughs) No, no, we'll be full of enthusiasm for years to come. The reprints don't start till after the fifth birthday issue. Ages yet. Wow. We'd have to keep uh, producing these podcasts every week for the next 300 years to get up to Garfield that was released today. (laughs) It's an impossible task. Right, if you want to support this podcast, you can do so through patreon.com forward slash stctp, where a donation of any amount will Mm. get you access to our bonus videos looking at the Martin Adams novels, the British novels they brought out here in the UK. Uh, back in the 90s and also access to me suffering endlessly (laughs) through day of reading me the fan fiction that has previous the fan fiction that shall not be named (laughs) I highly recommend it as an unbiased observer join that Patreon listen to these things it's great Our opening theme was synchronized by Sonic the Comic the band. You can find them at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. But we have been for the last three years. Three years, Sonic. Day of three burgers, day of three years, Dave. (laughs) Sonic. Like a bird's year. The comic. The podcast. We will see you next Next time. time. Bye. Bye. The only reason I ever tried haggis was because of Earthworm Jim. <laughs> we just ate it anyway. That's regular food. You're from the north. Offal was like riches to you. We were from a more civilised place. What, Coventry? Coventry. That's a very... <laughs> <laughs>